0: that all right welcome to the raleigh bitcoin meetup do you guys think coinbase ipo is going to be a good or bad thing for the uh bitcoin space
1: it's interesting because they're going to have to be responsible to public investors now so the general public is going to buy coinbase and expect them to make more and more money over time so what strategies could they use to do that that are innocuous is just onboarding people but is there any sort of you know nefarious ways that coinbase could make their revenue go up or the public investor will force coinbase to try to make bitcoin change to raise just the the price of that one company like what if SegWit 2x had been happening in the middle and coinbase was publicly traded at the time like would uh would that have changed anything for instance
0: hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, those, those forks are such a, got to be such a big question for any kind of government regulating either some kind of IPO or even for the, um, the ETFs, you know, like what the hell do you do when a fork happens? Uh, I mean, is that kind of
2: question that has to be settled before yeah, the government's going to approve anything? Oh, absolutely. What's I that? I can tell you, uh, they have to settle that way ahead of time before they do anything. Um, they'd be crazy not to. Um, uh, one thing I can tell you what's going to happen with folks is it's not going to benefit the consumer. I mean, that,
1: yeah, I, I think the, the reality is customer service will probably get worse and fees will go up.
0: <laughs> oh, during their IPO? Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Well, just you have to raise fees to make more money. Like, I assume that getting a deal on on Coinbase would not be as good. They might just be incentivized to keep listing worse and worse altcoins, which they've already kind of done ramping up to the IPO. That's like a first signal of, of how they're going.
0: Yeah. Is it just another one of these bad for people, good for Bitcoin kind of things? Cause it's like anything that draws publicity is going to be good for Bitcoin, but it's probably going to be bad for the people that get sucked into whatever the, uh, the scammy thing is.
2: Yeah, yeah I think I that's think part so. of it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The other thing I think that's interesting for the people that are planning on riding this IPO or trying to participate, I think um, there were some folks that indicated they were interested in doing that. If you could figure out who has the, the listing and, and who is um, making this initial sale, I mean, the, the IPO gets offered to a brokerage before it goes public. They offer it to the whales um, in the, in the stock market world.
3: That, called a, uh, what, what do you call it in the, in the crypto it. world when that happens? A, a pre, pre-sale? pre-sale. Or, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, that's basically what happens. That's
3: happened. all IPOs are?
2: Yeah. A pre-mine? Yeah.
3: Yeah, pre-mine. They there are going
2: go. to sell their bags onto whoever is planning on buying it. The people that are going to make the money of, of it are the people that have access to money that can, that, and access to the brokers that can sell it. Yeah, I'm not planning on participating in that. I think it's a, a shit show. It's just like any other corporation. They're just in it to make a quick cash, looking at who they are. The CEOs and the, the stockholders are looking at selling their interests to put cash in their pockets and to sell their interest. Yeah. They have to give up um, the decision-making. They have to give up seats in the board. They have to operate in a particular way. And that means focusing strictly on profits, not on running the business. That is, that is not good for Coinbase, but it certainly could be good for Bitcoin.
1: Now, do you, yeah. here's here's the alternative. Do you prefer what Binance did to what Coinbase did? If you're if you're going to be an exchange and you need to keep raising capital to cover expenses, which is you know pretty common with any business, would you rather do like the, the B and coin and try to keep some sort of pseudo blockchain element to it, or or it does it not matter?
0: And good old BNB coin, what a what? flash from the past, man! I,
2: that was probably the smartest. I bought move. me
0: a lot of BNB coin back in yeah. the day.
2: Yeah, I thought that uh, <laughs> Binance coin was was brilliant, was an absolute phenomenal move. What a real practical value! That was a true utility token. <laughs> that was a goddamn Chuck E. Cheese token of the exchange world.
0: I mean, really, it actually had utility, though, you could yeah. pay your exchange
2: fees. Absolutely, fifty percent off, wasn't it? That was, that was really brilliant. good. Yeah, that was great. Whatever happened to? Exchange. Token. Was it really
3: fifty percent?
0: Yeah, I think yeah. you got
2: a discount um, of fifty percent of your exchange uh, transaction fees. Hmm. Which and they also burned uh, BNB quite substantially. Um, so the price of the coin And during the bear markets um, when it was kind of kind of get hot and heavy there. Uh, BNB was performing quite well.
1: One thing I will say is Coinbase Pro used to have no fees. And they've added fees, and that kind of goes to the theory that this is not going to be good for the user experience trying to get the best thing for their buck when they invest in crypto. <laughs> yeah, that was great when they had no fees.
3: I think the fees are pretty high now. They're like 50 basis points or something.
1: I think a couple other exchanges still have, still trying to do the Binance model. I think SwissBorg is one of them. They might just be a Swiss crypto. Cryptocurrency
0: exchange is pretty new. Yeah. Talking about these exchange tokens uh, reminds me of another topic which was um, the centralized uh, stable coins that they've blacklisted some addresses. Oh. <laughs> did, you, did you guys hear about this? So
3: I heard about that, yeah. What was it, the Circle Foundation that did it or something? Or Circle?
0: Yeah, I think it was Circle, but it doesn't really matter. It's just the idea that stable coins can get, uh, your, your stable coin account can get frozen. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That's so funny.
1: Can we conclude? That, I didn't
0: even think about that.
1: Can we conclude that there, foundations are more corrupt than businesses? That I would rather have a business acting in their own financial interest to improve a coin than just to allow these nonsense charities to pop up because they're so they've just been so badly run. You know, they're coming from the philanthropic community, and that place is dirty. You know, that's just going to conventions and wasting other people's money.
2: What what I really hate about nonprofits is that they're often used by the incredibly wealthy to avoid paying taxes, um, and, and then they, you know, they raise funds for their own personal benefit. They pay themselves salaries from it, and they qualify for PPP grants as well.
4: Oh, no. Yeah, it's nuts.
0: So what you're saying is we need a Raleigh Bitcoin foundation where we take in money and it's already set up. Yeah. It's already set up. Okay.
1: (laughs) How how are the donations working uh, for the Raleigh Bitcoin foundation?
2: (laughs) That's confidential, sir. You're gonna, you're gonna have to submit uh, the appropriate uh, forms and triplicate to get that information.
3: Just a bunch of Doge, man
2: (laughs) bags and bags of doge.
0: What did you guys think about the TikTok Doge pump?
3: Oh, it was great, man.
0: (laughs) A whole new generation of Zoomers getting wrecked.
5: (laughs) How much did it pump by, by the way, Doge?
0: Oh, it's back to where it was before, but... Oh, shit. Yeah, it just went up and went right back down (laughs) in the same day.
3: Dude, I got a... One of my buddies uh, sent me a tweet like, Hey, man, should I buy Doge? And... (laughs) I, this morning, I looked at, like, he he doesn't give a crap about Bitcoin. and It was kind of a dig on me, I'm sure. But I looked at Doge, like, this morning after that, and it was down, you know, 32% since that tweet, like, a couple days ago. Wow. Everything's just a pump and dump, man. Like, the, uh, it's just alts, man. The Alts have such a... They like, they get people to FOMO so hard and people's minds, like the, the greed factor comes out just incredibly with the alts and maybe it does in Bitcoin too. It just happens more slowly, but it's, it's funny watching that happen.
0: It's sad to me that this is something about humanity that we can't really change. You know, just that there's going to, the majority of people are just looking for a pump and dump. Like that's just, it's just sucks. Like that's, that's 75% of people, you know, like,
3: and also when you like, say you give somebody a hundred percent pump in a day and they're like, Oh my gosh, I just doubled my money. All they're, all they're looking for is the next pump. Yeah. Like they don't, it's just it's just the the greed factor just totally overwhelms people's mindset, and they just want a little more yeah. mm-hmm. I and that that's something that I like like personally try to fight, especially with with the Bitcoin that I have, to so like not be envious of other people that have more or like you know want more than I could you know reasonably get myself but just be because I feel so much worse if I make a stupid trade and lose 0.01 Bitcoin than if I made 0.01 that like, it just doesn't make sense for me. Mm -hmm. So you're okay. Losing Bitcoin. Well, no, you're not okay. Losing
5: Bitcoin, but you're you're not, you're not, you don't care about getting more Bitcoin basically.
3: I don't care about getting more than I like deserve like that. I'm willing to work for, you know, how, how many bitcoins do you think you deserve?
0: <laughs>
3: oh, 21 or 22 million probably, <laughs> but
0: got to collect all right. them all.
3: There we go. <laughs> Bitcoin capitalists. I like it.
5: All right. But yeah. All right. No, but, um, with Coinbase, they're going to, it's like you said, it's going to be, it's going to be really painful for the people involved, but good for Bitcoin overall. And I think they were discussing a little bit about releasing a token, like somehow doing the IPO or it's kind of similar to like what BNB did, but I don't know if they're going to use it as a utility. Maybe they're going to use it more as a, like a share type of type of thing um or going with the IPO and I think just either way is just a disaster because I just don't think their model um uh, which I don't know anymore what it is anymore I used to think it was a bitcoin company a bitcoin exchange based company but they're obviously not anymore but their model just I don't see it really gelling well with the traditional financial world like I feel like they're going to be eaten up alive like they should have really stuck to their bitcoin foundations I mean-
1: to get that protection cuz they're going to be destroyed. I mean in a way the best thing that could happen was Coinbase comes in and immediately gets gobbled up by Goldman Sachs.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Like they just say, "You know what? You you have a monopoly on this, but you're we know you're going to be terrible at it, but put it put it <laughs> under us and we'll take this to 100k." You
6: know. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see I don't see them surviving. Like what's the what's the real what's they. They put a freaking board on Coinbase with all the top ten, um, you know, Forbes uh, companies. Like, put those guys in your in your chairman seats. Like, it's a wrap. Like, they're they're done. Like, they're gonna be putting up so much shit on that exchange. Fuck the user experience. So many people are gonna get got for their money, and um, it's gonna be unfortunate. I mean, but uh, that's the route they want to take. So, okay, we'll see how it goes.
1: I mean, Coinbase does some weird th- things, mon- uh, money-wise. Like they'll pay you to like watch videos about some of the the crappier alts, right?
0: Really? I don't know. Yeah.
1: I think they'll give you like ten to twenty-five dollars worth of the alt if you watch watch enough of the videos. Wow. Of the alt itself, yeah, and the alt is the alt is shitty. Yeah. So. But I assume you could just immediately liquidate it. Yeah. it I assume the alts yeah. are also pr- contributing the money for contributing the coins for free as a promotion yeah that's right <laughs> yeah as somebody goes down oh no oh no, value goes no. did someone post What's this that? link on the public channel it looks like we have one of those zoom guys dropping in
2: <laughs> is that <laughs> scammer back scammington <laughs> <That> was,
5: uh, <laughs> let me turn okay. off my video
0: a Bitcoin I'm chat roulette here <laughs> Had a guy with the Bitcoin Cash gang shirt just show up <laughs> to the Zoom call.
4: Oh, bad.
0: BCH gang. Wow. You know the. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Coinbase went in the directions of stocks <clears throat> like Robinhood and like trying to get people to buy, you know, stocks along with their altcoins and stuff and. Yeah, I kind of feel like everything's heading in this direction where retail people are just trying to pump random stocks, stocks and coins. And there's just this complete disconnect between society and the value of stocks. Like it just becomes a total casino. I mean, a a casino would even be better. Like it's just, hey, let's just get together and pump this stock or let's get together and pump this coin. And. I mean, why is Tesla going up so much right now? I mean, have they really? I mean, it's just, I just feel like the, the, it's just getting more and more disconnected. Like the value of stocks and coins.
7: Political and now.
0: society It's
7: political now. Now it's like a presidential thing. Like, oh, you want to make the economy look good, print money, make the markets look good, and then you're good. That's the economy, quote unquote.
5: Yeah, it's, it's, I heard this podcast reference to it as a, a scoreboard. Like the stock market is now the scoreboard for the economy, and um, you can manipulate that thing as much as you want. And as long as you point to it and it looks green, people
3: are going to say the economy is great. So, yeah, yeah. Yes. One package. This is some. This is something that bugs me so much about, and it's a great analogy to sports. You no, know, because you got somebody in the nineteen forties who hit like. 50 home runs, and then a guy this year hit 70 home runs. But they played a lot more games this year. So, of course, you're going to shatter all the records. Mm-hmm. You know? It's that exact same thing happening in the stock market when you know, the dollars just don't go as far, so there's a lot more of them. Like, of course, you're going to hit all-time highs.
4: Well, they're printing more specifically for it, too. Okay.
3: Yeah, that, too.
0: Think the baseballs are juiced? Yeah. The bills are juiced.
1: I mean, the, the everyone's getting zero percent loans. That that's the the issue is that the large corporations are getting these loans that cost them nothing, and that's our that's our entire economic plan right now, which is a disaster because it's so far away from a free market that if a company wants to build a factory, yeah, go ahead. Here's some free money to do it. Like, it's, it sounds like a good idea if you haven't thought about it at all. But once you realize that there's no accountability to this plan, it's, it's, it's disastrous.
5: Yeah, I, I'm kind of, I think there's something going on in terms of the psychological effects on just mass media and people who consume mass media and the inflation that's currently happening. Because as we're printing money, um, people are witnessing the stock market take all-time highs but they're not quite they're not really crediting or they're not really faulting it to inflation they're really looking at it like hey the economy is doing good but also these guys are really smart whoever invested in tesla like you are a fucking genius like how did you know how to do that i should have did that that was my mistake that i did not invest in tesla i did not invest in these in gold i did not invest in all these things so it's like completely going over everyone like a good majority of people's heads that inflation's happening. They're printing money, they're propping up these these ticker symbols. But people are crediting that to wise investing.
7: Yeah, the last ten years of money pumping. And I saw it
5: and I think I talked about on this podcast before.
7: I was at a grocery store or something and in front of me, like a dad was talking to his kid about, you know, how he was gonna be a successful (laughs) trader like him and I'm just thinking the guy just had to put money in the market anytime in the last 10 years. <laughs> like,
3: yeah. This, this, the, your kid's
7: going to get wrecked.
3: The, the more, this is the thing that just kills me about all these incentives that you give people. Like if you're a traditional value investor and you like, you know, when you buy a stock that's a, at a 30 PE, like that's the average of the S and P now is 30 PE. So like if I give you $30, and you give me $1 back every year like would that be a good deal you know pro- i probably wouldn't do that you know that's 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 not a a quick enough return on my money mm-hmm. but that's the average multiple of companies in the S&P today and mm-hmm. that is so expensive it's nuts mm. yeah and it, think- the the stocks only you've got to be kind of a kind of a gambler and a YOLO or to put your money in the stock market, but that's the only way that you win because there's no returns anywhere else unless you you know buy Bitcoin or something.
1: Yeah, I don't think the efficient market hypothesis works with the stock market because stocks should have their value from future dividends that get paid. Like it should be that future dividend should be so huge that the present value of those future payments is the stock price. And that is not not how the stock market works. Right, Whereas, right. the market can be efficient about a, a piece of wood like that. That actually is the correct price now. A bitcoin actually is the correct price now. But these stocks, there, no, because nobody can predict the future correctly. It can't be efficient. No one, ha, no one knows what future earnings for these companies are going to be. So, it, it's, efficiency would not need clairvoyance, which just is not there. the The efficiency comes from I somehow the, the price is you know all the information at this present time around the world says this is what it should cost but you can't include future information you can't predict future information
0: I don't think that's typically what uh, efficient market hypothesis means though isn't it just it makes efficient use of the current information I, think, mm. I don't I don't think I don't, I don't think that thesis talks about being able to predict stuff anyway, you Good know, uh, yeah. um, uh, I heard an interesting thing on a podcast of someone who is pricing the stock market in terms of gold. And if you just like, if you use gold as the measure of stock values, it actually hasn't gone up.
3: I, I would love to Dude, see. I was, that. I was looking at that too. I'll, I'll post a chart. Um, okay. I was looking at that yesterday
0: and you're listening to the same podcast I was maybe.
3: No, man. I just look at weird charts.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: yeah. But it's crazy though, man, because it really all depends on the time frame you look at. Cause you can, you can rig any chart to look good depending on when you start the reference right. point. Yeah. But you know, you can, uh, yeah. I mean if you measure over like a 20 or 30 year period, you know, gold outperforms, It's only when you start the gold measurement at like 1980 that the stock market does like way better than gold because gold had this big pump where it went up to like 700 bucks in 1980 and then it went down to 200 and now, you know, so it's only if you start at that really high point that the, that the stock market has done substantially better. But if you, if you just do like from the year 2000, you know, gold has done better than the stock market. And you think like, Hmm okay, so 2000 was a high in the stock market, but like maybe 1998, you know, it's crazy because you wouldn't think that that would happen.
0: I would think the most natural point to base it from would be
1: 1971.
3: Well,
0: I'd like to
1: see. Well, it from yeah. Sorry. My chart doesn't go back the Dow to Jones 1971 average. That oh, is okay. a really old average. Old charts just don't exist. This is something I've had a lot of trouble with. Is they do not want you to have the old data, and I'm very suspicious about why that is. They do not want to show you old stock stock market data past a certain point.
0: You mean old gold data?
1: No, old stock market data. You know, the stock market's been around forever. You know, the stock market was what crashed in the, the Great Depression. Like, I, I want to see from the great, from before the Great Depression, from like the 1920s, if you had priced things in gold. That's what I want to see the comparison of, because I think at some point capital investment became incompetent and that's why the price doesn't rise in gold. It's because you're not actually producing a real return because you're not investing capital well. Uh,
3: And this is also something that, um, that really bugs me when people talk about this type of comparison, because, you know, you're, you're comparing the S and P where a lot of companies don't pay dividends and they just reinvest in their company. Like Amazon has never paid a dividend you know, but they just use all their earnings to like reduce the earnings and reinvest in the company and grow the company more. But when you look at the price of gold, you don't look at the compounded price of gold. You just look at the raw metal. You know, you don't look at, you know, selling derivatives to produce income or like loaning it to somebody to stand as collateral for a factory and they pay you some money because of that. Like you only look at the raw metal in this comparison and don't, you don't look at, you know, other activities that you could do with the metal or with the Bitcoin in this example. And I think it really clouds the judgment of the, of the analysis because it's not apples to apples because in the S&P, you're, you're obviously investing in the S&P where you might be holding gold as money. So if you're, you know, you would expect it to be lower as gold because it's not, I, you know, there's no operational risk in gold, where there's a ton of operational risk in running a company.
1: But shouldn't the price of gold rise as the economy grows, like proportionally to the economy, almost? Just like the stock market, just like the idea of the diversified portfolio we have, like the entire stock market. That goes up. Up over time but I figure if you have a hard money that, that the same behavior should be observed That you could have just hold, held gold the whole time because as people get wealthier the amount of gold stays the same and demand will increase proportionally to the amount of wealth they could invest to try to acquire gold now.
0: Yeah I think this is what uh, Guy Swan argues a lot when he comes on here like if you just hold a hard money and the society just gets better over time then you should just you should see the, the, um, the value of that in your gold.
1: Right? And I think what, what happened is that, you know, when we had the gold confiscation during the Great Depression, they decided they didn't want that to be a possible system. You have to cooperate with the state. The state, the state wants you to invest in their companies and work for their co- publicly traded companies. And they don't want you to be able to have, uh, grow your wealth in a sovereign way you have to be play the game they want you to play. And so they took everyone's gold away.
0: Yeah. Interesting. You know what I want to know? I want to know what's going on with Bitcoin Cash these days. It,
1: oh no. no if anybody, you did it too many times you might summon someone evil.
0: Does anybody on this <laughs> podcast happen to still hang out? Sure. Surely
1: nobody would be that foolish. <laughs> The question I always hear is which is the real Bitcoin cash, you know? The Lightning Network is the real Bitcoin cash. <laughs>
0: well, what's going on in BCH? Are you still hanging out in those telegrams? Uh, a little
7: bit. I mean, they try to kick me off more now than they used to.
0: <laughs> I think because they thought they could
7: convince me or that they would, that time would prove them right and time just makes my arguments better. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because it's just like, the you know, the, the excuse they used to tell me this was like back in 2017 the number one thing i used to hear was the market will decide
6: <laughs> yeah, will. Says, yes it will
7: <laughs> nobody ever says the market will decide anymore but i remember the ones that said that to me so i always like to remind them of their arguments and and that kind of uh, strategy has worked well for me over time just kind of giving them their arguments back as time goes on um but uh, but anyway yeah there's not really much Happening there right now, they're they're still um, licking their wounds from the pretty successful takeover of ABC by Chinese miners and the proposal to tax the block reward um, by a significant percentage to give to um, one group of developers um, to
3: do with as they as they choose. They're actually doing that, like they're so, still talking well,
7: about that. They put it in the code, so the actual code that does that is, is now in the code, but it's not activated. So, you know, they can say that they didn't do that, but it's in the code. It just isn't activated. But it was, it
3: was implemented, just not activated. That is so stupid, man. Why in the world would they do that?
7: Because <laughs> uh, they call it the infrastructure funding plan. And, uh, I mean, obviously the incentives for the miners and the devs are, is obvious. I mean, you don't, you can't run a shitcoin with Bitcoin very easily because you don't get to make free money. So, you know, all the other yeah. shit points, you get to start with half coins or whatever. And so you got free money that you can dump on people forever or especially with the staking yeah. coins. That's why Ethereum wants to, to stake so that the founders can basically do nothing and stay rich forever and never have to sell their principal. Um, but uh, but so yeah so of course the incentive for the devs is obvious they want money to if they're going to keep supporting a shitcoin they want to get they want free money and uh, and the miners kind of uh, weaseled their way into that deal as well the the miner that was originally uh, proposing the plan would be managing the funds and essentially you know the accountant doesn't pay uh, the fee himself so <laughs> they would be getting an advantage of about whatever the percentage is over the rest of the miners, which is great for them, uh, makes them far more competitive, which is, you know, not very good for the ecosystem mining wise, but they don't care. They're, they're there to make money on a shit coin. That's the point for them.
3: It just, you know, it just know. seems like such an obvious scam though. Like you, it, at least make it complicated.
7: Yeah. And I mean, but it worked well, you know what, it, to their credit, it didn't work. I gotta be honest. It didn't work. It almost worked. And at first, most of the guys I would talk to like defended it, and they were defending it because their thought leaders defended it, and their thought leaders defended it because most of their thought leaders worked for ABC, and ABC was the company that was going to be getting all the money. so yeah, like they were like about to get a giant windfall of millions of dollars, and most of these guys weren't really getting paid, and so of course, they're going to start like staking their reputation on this great plan that's going to pay them millions of dollars. Um, that's a lot of money to a regular guy that's used to getting donations um, <laughs> so. Uh, but but overall, eventually, they A significant enough portion of the community, um, developers themselves, um, started a, a new um, node called BCH node. Uh, ironically, now you have to run a node if you want to protect Bitcoin Cash, which the whole thing was that nodes were worthless, nodes don't matter. If you remember those excuses, well now, um, if you want to protect Bitcoin Cash, you got to run BCH node. Literally called BCH Node, BCHN, and um, and and so and but that gained enough traction, and people donated, uh, you know, committed I think over a million dollars to them for the development of that node software, and um, and uh, so that portion of the community at least got big enough to make a plausible uh, fork, which would essentially kill the already tiny chain. So that was enough to scare off. Um, ABC and the Chinese conglomerates from forcing them into going along. For now.
1: JC, you should try to continue to sabotage this community and I think the next proposal is they should just confiscate Satoshi's Bitcoin cash.
7: Well, they will do that Um, on PSV.
1: Oh, oh, it's already happened?
7: Well, not happened, but they will.
1: um, Beat them to the punch.
7: On VCH... You know, they probably will end up, because I mean, you know, I hate that this has been even discussed by some Bitcoiners on BTC, obviously nobody that's necessarily getting taken seriously, um, but, but, you know, there have been many uh, proposals over the years that I've heard about recycling stoshi's coins, like for more inflation or whatever to the miners um, to extend the rewards and stuff like that. Um, obviously, I disagree with that, um, but I've been seeing in the last few days, a lot of little things that I... Strongly disagree with, especially from guys like Adam Back, um, who is seen as a pretty prominent Bitcoiner, but sometimes the stuff he says is just kind of crazy. Like, did you know that? uh, And somebody like shoved this in my face the other day on Twitter because I said that no serious Bitcoiner uh, would suggest um, forking uh, the network to um, stop the most proof of work um, uh, chain. Uh, like if, let's say, Binance got the patch power to to do a reorg, uh, I said that no serious Bitcoiner would suggest that we should, you know, just release a code fork that, you know, ignored that, essentially, which I would think would be very anti-Bitcoin. And then what's the point? You know, if you're just basically going to allow forks to be whatever the hell you want, then that's not even, there's no proof of work at all. Anyway, uh, they proved me wrong by showing me that Adam Beck actually suggested that, um, Bitcoiners would, would fork and, and, and use a new node software if Binance attempted that and that we would ignore their proof of work and, and go along our merry way.
0: And I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I could see that happening actually. I think that's, I mean, that's horrible. I, well, I mean, one thing that I, I think that it, you know is a very late um, stage of um, getting comfortable with Bitcoin is just knowing that if anyone proposed a fork like this, it would happen but there would always be a large number of people that would continue mining the old chain so it's like if someone proposes some fork like this great you know it's not like the old chain is gonna go away like so it's like if if like the consensus of people decide that that forks the best fork then that will just become more valuable and that's just what bitcoin is you know it's like um like the, there's the do you understand what i'm saying like there's this meta space where bitcoin is whatever we decide it is
7: yeah but if we as a culture decide that we can just
0: you know turn on a dime to suit what it is it's not
7: or no a,
0: there is no turning there's
7: just turning and and so right now Bitcoin no, culture the, is such that that there is no uh you're not going to be able to change away from proof of work for you know arbitrary reasons like oh some big exchange uh, had another idea for the chain um, or whatever. Uh, but there's the no turning.
0: The there's there's only forking. I mean, w- when you turn, you don't turn the whole. It wouldn't be a so You, you just take a, a little if part of the fork this.
7: Is uh, not a majority. But if the fork became, let's say, quote unquote, the culture, and we considered it Bitcoin and. It maintained, you know, the majority of the economic value and it became, you know, then that means that it's essentially been compromised, in my opinion, and can continue to be compromised and can be, you know, used as a weapon against uh, whoever can convince you they're the most popular voice uh, in Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, you know, which well, This is why
3: we don't need a Bitcoin community, man, because <laughs> there's a community will eventually be wrong and then we'll screw it up.
7: Oh, we, well, we got to yeah, be toxic and the the, 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 well, the
4: <laughs> we the, just the, can't
7: the, have the, leaders. I don't know if you're kidding but that's true. I mean, uh long, needs I'm to be serious. A human decision. It needs to be something that doesn't care what people think.
3: I mean, Cause like if it's we're all funny, but, yeah. dude, if we're all friends and we're all in the same community, we don't even need money. We can just do favors for each other. Like <laughs> money is for enemies.
0: <laughs> I like that. <laughs>
7: <laughs> uh, I'm not with you anymore. I think you're kidding. I don't know. No, no, he's, no. I'm not uh, kidding.
0: Like, like in a family, like, you don't exchange money. And like if a neighbor wants you to like, you know, do a favor for him, you don't ask for money. Like you only, you only ask for money people that you don't, they don't really know that well. That's what he's saying. Yeah.
7: Well, I mean, in that case, you wouldn't need. Yeah, like you said you wouldn't, but you wouldn't need Bitcoin. Um. Right. So, I mean, I just think you know the culture. So what is one of the big things that separates Bitcoin from Ethereum, because both of them have proof of work, both of them have a shit ton of electricity mining and hashing away. One of the biggest things though, that makes Bitcoin a thousand times more decentralized than Ethereum, if we ignore the composition of their pools and all that, is the culture. Um, on the culture of Ethereum, people will do whatever Vital- Vitalik and Ethereum Foundation say. If they release a patch tomorrow that does whatever the hell it does, double the block size, whatever they want to do, it will get implemented within. Forty-eight hours, they can do it. They can push it out. You can't do that on Bitcoin. It's only because the culture, because as a community, uh, it's not that it's we're not very um, we're not very accepting of change, and that is super important. Uh,
1: let, let me let me clarify this really really well. That to explain the differences, you know, Bitcoin is an anarchy system, and anarchy means doesn't it means no rulers. It's rules without rulers. Whereas Ethereum made the exact opposite decision very blatantly where they had rules and they had rulers. And when the rulers didn't like the rules, they got rid of the rules and said, yeah, we can edit anything we want at any time.
7: And that's exactly
1: so, what I think. So they don't, they have rulers that don't have to follow their own rules. That is the Ethereum ecosystem.
7: Mm-hmm. Cause once you start having guys like even Adam back or whoever that can say, well, you know what guys, uh, in my influential opinion, I think we were just going to say screw Binance and we're going to uh, we're going to make sure that they actually don't have those coins or whatever. I mean, um, you know, you, like like Wade said it really well. The rulers... The best thing about Ethereum Ethereum is,
1: is that, the, is that the good thing about Ethereum is that they were a real threat because this sort of totalitarian ruler system does work a lot, but they're actually incompetent, so they're not a real threat. You know they. <laughs> You know, the, the rules without rulers, or the rulers not obeying their own rules, is why every, every two years what Ethereum is changes completely, you know, because...
7: We don't, even, we don't even know what it is today. Like, they haven't decided yet. We'll find out when Vitalik tells us what Ethereum is going to be next month. We'll know the maximum supply when he de- decrees it, which he has yet to do, but he will, and he says he will
1: eventually. I'm not excited about this version of Ethereum, but whatever they follow up with the next thing after DeFi, I look forward to figuring out what that what the new version of Ethereum will be. What would the new scam be?
7: Oh god, I was talking to a guy today, um a guy that's traditionally been, you know, a pretty staunch Bitcoiner. And today he says in a public group that I'm in that this DeFi stuff's really been he's starting to wake up to it, starting to see there may be some value there. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> dude <laughs> do you remember IEOs? do you remember that those big legitimate it's going to be the next institutional wave and securitized tokens and all that stuff i remember very well because i was still uh, more involved with ethereum projects at that time that ended up being just like a, a, a shittier round two of icos um, that didn't last company. very
0: long you're talking about the initial no. exchange offerings yes yeah, it didn't last long,
7: but it but it, yeah. at the time, seemed like the future in the eyes of the Ethereum community. It was their narrative. It was their their reason for being. And uh, oh, at the yeah. time, just like DeFi today is their reason for being. And now oh, they're doing, God. and
4: DeFi. now they're
7: doing uh, yield farming and yield farming. And now I heard a new term today called an IDEO. It's an initial DEX offering, and that's the new thing. This is the future of DeFi. Are these IDEOs. <laughs> and this time, for real, this time is really going to be the future and this is why a3 it is so great and i'm of course being very sarcastic right now um but the idos this yield farming i don't know how much you guys are familiar with yield farming that has been going on essentially um a, a dex or decentralized uh, finance thing like uh like compound finance creates a token um token pays uh, for use of the platform and like some kind of dividend and people that lend or borrow or otherwise use the platform get paid in the token, which while the token is pumping because of the people using it to mine these tokens, essentially by using, people lend and borrow money they, they otherwise didn't want to lend and borrow because they're farming the yields from the token price. And this creates a cycle where more people yield farm, which makes the token worth more, which makes more people hoard it, and more people yield farm and on and on on, creating this circle, until of course, like any other Ponzi or you know pyramid, there are more sellers than buyers at a certain point because there's so much people that have already collected the token and they want to dump. Um, and at that point, uh, people that took out those oh, yeah. loans are now under the. It's a good
1: explanation of yield farming, but it's still, it's it's not followable. Like, the, the, there's no logic. <laughs> I, I think it's just complexity without logic.
7: It's, well, it, it makes money as long as nobody decides to dump the token, uh, which, of course, at a certain point, somebody's going to be like, why do I got all that? I got $5 million of this comp token now. I'm going to sell it for some Ethereum. And then we start the, the downward end of that spiral, which is uh, where people that took out loans at 30% that they don't even want the loan. And they took 30% because their calculation was that the token was going to be so profitable that the 30% would be paid off by, their to- by dumping the token. But now the token price is crashing. So now they got a loan they owe 30% on. So they just dump the loan. And you know, they're underwater on these loans. And then the the, the the lenders get burned and the whole thing just crashes down. It's exactly what's gonna happen. It's exactly what happened on EOS and on Tron. They had something called t- token mining uh, with their casinos and the same cycle happened. And I'm seeing the same cycle happen on Ethereum and all these you know, people that are taken seriously in the, in the crypto finance community, you know, some institutional names and other big shots that like to be intellectual on Twitter about the future of finance. Um, this is a very obvious path they're on. I've seen it before, and we know how it ends. Like, there's no free money. It's not like you can just put 10 grand on there, and you're going to get free money out of the fucking, you know, Ethereum's butt. Like, it came from other people, and eventually, <laughs> eventually, uh, there are losers. You just don't see them yet until uh, the tides turn, in which case everybody that's still playing the game loses.
1: It, and and <laughs> Is it true that somebody who's trying to do this yield farming is both borrowing money and lending money at the same time?
7: You could because you because as long as the token is increasing in value and as long as you can sell the tokens from your lending and borrowing at a higher price than your interest, it's profitable to do that. And The only reason why you're able to sell the token at a higher price again is because people speculate on these new tokens and it's a cycle that ends very quickly. I think this new yield farming trend is not even gonna last three months. In fact, in three months, they'll be embarrassed to have promoted it because so many people have lost money. Uh, compound token has already actually crashed um, over 50% off its high, if I'm not mistaken.
4: Um,
7: I think it did hit 300 and something, and now the last time I checked, it's like low 200s. So um, we're already seeing it a little bit, and, and but, but there are many other DEXs that have yet to create their tokens, so we're gonna have these IDOs happen. And as these new tokens are created on these new DEXs and these new lending platforms, they'll pump too, because there'll be fresh yield. And you know, it's like making a new Ponzi after the old one crashes. Um, And you move on to the fresh new one and the smart money gets in first, gets in, gets out really quick. And this works for a while. It works in every crypto Ponzi that there is. All the new Ponzi crypto games, even the proof of weak hands and all those types of games. The first ones always do very well for the early guys, but eventually there's so much big money that comes in so early and is so intent on dumping that It doesn't even last two weeks.
0: You know what might happen though is like what if Bitcoin starts pumping just because of like S2F stuff and then just you know the rising tide lifts all boats and then because Bitcoin is pumping the whole system pumps and then like this DeFi stuff gets promoted even more.
7: There's too many buckets. Um, By that I mean like you got so many fake market caps. You got so many wells like... You got all these holes. If you look at every token, every ERC20 token as a, as a bucket with a number on it, and that bucket needs to be full before it can overflow. You know, some of these buckets are so huge that there's no way you're going to get enough capital to fill all those buckets up and more so that you make a profit. I mean, you got these bag holders that are collectively billions of dollars underwater. Sure. Is it possible that we see like maybe multi-trillion dollar pump to Bitcoin that actually has enough water to fill all those buckets? It's possible, but man, there are so many deep buckets that are just crazy stupid projects that are minted billions of tokens and think they're worth a hell of a lot more than they are. Is it
1: possible possible that part of the reason Bitcoin hasn't gotten back to twenty thousand yet is because the people that have Bitcoin are malinvesting it in these alts? that they start out with one Bitcoin tr- invested in an alt and have 0.8 Bitcoin when they leave. And this is what's suppressing the price of Bitcoin is that people with Bitcoin keep investing it so badly, the price can't rise. It's just, it's just creating economic waste.
7: It's possible. I think it's more likely though, mm. that all these derivatives are probably dampening the price. Like, is all that money going on on Robinhood? Are they really turning around and buying Bitcoin with it? Or are they just hoping that everybody doesn't sell it once?
0: You know, like it's a lot of volume
7: that we're probably not seeing on the real market because they're throwing it into these derivatives.
0: I saw a great tweet from uh, Jameson Lop that said, we have no evidence that Robinhood owns even one Bitcoin. Really? Well, I mean, Good we don't, point. I mean, I mean, where's the on-chain proof that Robinhood owns Bitcoin?
3: <laughs> That's so great. Just sow those seeds of, you
1: know, of distrust. But it's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I Robin be... would love Robinhood to get taken out because Bitcoin pumped and they didn't hold any. You know, they couldn't. that would be amazing.
0: I mean, they still don't have the withdrawal enabled, I don't think.
7: No, you can't. It's not a real coin. It's literally just paper.
5: Really? With Robinhood still? Yeah,
7: yeah Robinhood no still
0: real... doesn't have withdrawals. Wow. That's no, why Jameson tweeted that. that.
5: Like, it's just pure, you
7: can take fiat. And change a little Bitcoin number on your account. That's all you can do. And then when you want, you can change a little Bitcoin number and get dollar number on your screen. Which of course you can withdraw your dollar number. But for all we know, there's not a not a single Bitcoin like Lop said
5: in there. Wow, that's messed up. And
7: this I think is a way better chance than not that they're not. I mean that they're not. And they probably are absorbing a very significant portion of Bitcoin volume um, from. Uh, the new class of Bitcoin buyers all the institutional guys, the higher end retail guys, and then the the fomo guys on the retail side like many of them are just going to dump portfolios on Robinhood and feel i mean even I was looking at uh, what 's his name billionaire that was uh, interviewing pomp recently um, uh, him and, and another guy like whenever I see these big celebrities like show off that they 've got some bitcoin in their wallet it 's a Robinhood wallet it 's not even it 's not even A Bitcoin wallet. It's, oh, look how many Bitcoin I got. And they'll show you their Robinhood portfolio on their phone. Like,
5: a lot of money going into Bitcoin that's probably not making it to Bitcoin. They're pumping Robinhood. They probably have some good stakes (laughs) in Robinhood. Because Robinhood just, that's a Cinderella story all in itself. Like, they just came out of nowhere and they're, like, worth, like, $8.6 now at this point. And, I mean, they pretty much, I wouldn't say stole, but they pretty much took the options... And the BitMEX, they they took the BitMEX approach and brought it to, you know, consumers like retail investors in the stock market, and um, it's a hit right now. So, I mean, they they saw the money BitMEX was making, and they basically translated that to their exchange for retail investors
1: in normal stock markets. Yep. The last time we had this happen was in the internet bubble in the '90s where day traders for the first time gave uh, normal people with the internet connection the ability to buy options contracts, which is something that should prob- that no one should ever do. Like you should have the right to buy options contracts, but you should never do it. Like this is just not something you can <laughs> successfully trade. And part of what co- popped the 1999 bubble was too many people were trading options contracts that had no idea what they were doing. And the other day, there was an article about how Robinhood has had to install bulletproof glass at their headquarters because so many angry traders are coming and like yelling at them, which I think is amazing. (laughs) I think we're witnessing
5: another stage of a financial collapse now that Robinhood is out, because Robinhood essentially came around at the perfect timing where everyone is at home, and everyone's, they think they're, you know, majestic investors right. they're going on this thing. They're doing option trades. They're getting blown up. And that's literally the United States economy, like a, a whole class, middle class, lower class, maybe, you know, a little higher than middle class, but not upper class. That's that entire class getting freaking wrecked on Robinhood, getting exposed to options trading,
1: which they should not be doing. They're not getting wrecked though. The people I've met have, are the people that were buying airline stocks in the middle of COVID and making tons of money. Like, unfortunately, like they're setting them up. They're succeeding initially, which is you know gambler's luck, and that's really what's going to bite them because they're going to double down. Exactly. They're going to get wrecked at some point. That I mean there's
5: very few that will survive the reckoning. <laughs>
0: how how ironic is it? How ironic is it that um, all the poor people are getting wrecked while Robin Hood is just like making the rich people richer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, with the name Robin Hood. That,
5: that, that is crazy. iconic, man. It is very <laughs> ironic, too. Oh, that but that's, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> like, how do you get to a $9.3 billion valuation on on no fee trades? You're not going to get a hundred million Americans to pay for Robinhood Pro to get that sort of revenue. And the the amount they're scraping on on um on the trades where you're not quite the market makers aren't quite giving you the best deal on an options contract. They're just taking a cent here, here, a cent there. Like, is that really going to get high enough to judge that valuation? Probably not. The valuation is probably based off users. And right
5: now they're they're users it's probably like through the roof, like probably I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if it's like half a billion users on Robin hood at this point.
1: My theory yeah. about uh, users is that a user of a social media site is only worth like 10 to a hundred dollars. But if it's a financial situation, like investing in a, in a altcoin or investing in Bitcoin or investing in Robin hood, like when you're actually spending money on, on a social media type website where it's a mixture of both, is $1,000. It wouldn't surprise me if they just have uh, maybe 10 million users total.
0: Wow. $1,000 I mean, per user.
1: It could per be,
5: years. yeah. They have, they have to have a shitload of users, though, for people to evaluate them that high. And I'm pretty sure they show that evidence to their the stakeholders during those meetings, um, unfortunately, they did not. They did not show the Bitcoin. You know, <laughs> the Bitcoin evidence that they actually hold Bitcoin reserves or anything like that.
1: Yeah. So, so May fourth, they had thirteen million users. So yeah, it is about a thousand dollars. Just once you've connected a social media type situation to to someone's bank account, where instead of only being dependent on advertisers. To milk, a, to milk a user, that's when you get that extra thousand dollars instead of just a hundred or so that Facebook probably gets.
3: Freedom, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, man! Sense. You just came up with your own
1: stock-to-flow model.
3: <laughs> that was
5: amazing. Yeah, just on the on the whim, right? Just so yeah, it should be about a thousand. Then plugged it into the formula, it was a, it was a <laughs> thousand.
0: Wait, how how does? Okay. How are is um, how's Robinhood regulated? Like who is responsible for checking to see if they have the, the Bitcoin like Robinhood can't sell us stocks and there be absolutely no authority checking to see whether Robinhood actually owns those stocks or not. Right. Like there's a, there's some kind of SEC committee that audits them for their ownership of stocks. Yeah,
1: right? I, I see, I, I see, uh, Robinhood stocks, uh, I get to see custodial flows of who's holding what stock and sometimes Robinhood will be in that list which it just means they have their users have 50,000 of whatever tech or healthcare stock.
0: Okay, but like what So there's there's some authority that is monitoring that, right? I mean
1: My suspicion is that the SEC would almost encourage Robinhood to do a bad job with Bitcoin.
4: Like, you
1: know, do a good job holding (laughs) stocks, follow all the regulations, but just do whatever you want with Bitcoin. Be as sloppy as you want. It's not our deal.
7: I have no idea. I have no clue about this, but it wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't perfectly legal for them to um, fractionally reserve their stock holdings. Like a bank. Wow. And I'm just saying this out of my out of my out of my ass, but wouldn't surprise me if there weren't like some kind of loophole or loop workaround. Like maybe they're regulated as like kind of a bank, and their stocks are just seen as money. You know, like okay, we've got you know 50 million of this, um, so we're just going to consider that 50 million dollars, and we're allowed to, you know, according to bank rules and regulations, we're allowed to not hold the whole 50 million. So
4: so we not going to hold all 50 million, but it's actually, you know, it's not actually 50 million. It's supposedly
0: stunk. Just guess, man. Thinking about the the idea that maybe they don't have any Bitcoin, and so all that demand never actually made it into the price. At first, I was like, oh, that's okay, because that demand's going to make it in there eventually because they're gonna to have to buy it eventually, but maybe they're not gonna to have to buy it eventually. Maybe that demand's never gonna make it into the price. That, I mean, that kinda sucks to think about.
4: I know, that's what, and
7: that's exactly where I was coming from when I said, I think it's more likely that, it's not just Robinhood, some other uh, exchanges too now, maybe even Cash App, you know, like we don't know that all the demand for buying Bitcoin on all these different apps and platforms, <laughs> Actually, ever even the ones that are like Bitcoin only like Voyager and all those stuff. We don't know that they are ever buying Bitcoin.
4: Hmm. Man, Bitcoin my, is born,
7: but, you
4: know, I mean, Robinhood
7: trading weeks and 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 not buy any Bitcoin. like The market would not reflect that.
3: Yeah, but if it, if Robinhood is the only one that doesn't allow withdrawals at 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 any capacity, right? That's- yeah, I think so. They're the only one that I know of. Yeah. Um, so they are definitely the most likely contender for Scammer of the Week. Um, but, I mean, if it continued for a really long time, I could see it being a bad thing. But if the price of Bitcoin goes up, you know, 10x, and all those people sell Bitcoin for other stuff, like that's going to wreck Robinhood, even if they're a $10 billion market, you know, company. And so they're going to get wrecked eventually because you just can't do that in Bitcoin like you can with stocks. Like the odds that every stock is going to go up 10 X is very unlikely. That could definitely happen with one of your assets, namely Bitcoin. And uh, that seems like that would definitely wreck you.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So here's what could happen. Bitcoin could go up. Some people would sell their Bitcoin and then they'd want to like cash out of Robinhood and then Robinhood wouldn't have the cash to pay out because they didn't actually sell yeah. Bitcoin.
3: Exactly. Right. Yeah. They, okay. they just wouldn't have the cash to pay out or to buy your other stocks or something. But in the meantime, we all get cheaper Bitcoin because those people who thought they were buying aren't actually buying.
0: Yeah. Man, this just furthers my like motivation for like, like promoting exchange scams. I want as many exchange scams as possible. man. I mean, like, (laughs) I mean, I I want exchanges, but I want them to run off of people's money all the time.
3: You just got to beat it into people, man. There's no way around it.
0: You know? Yeah. Uh, all right. What's what's next on the topic list? I thought you had some good ones, Daniel. In the, uh, in the well, chat. one of them
3: that I wanted to talk through, which I'm not incredibly knowledgeable about, is you know BIP activation methods. Um, oh yeah. And, you know, it's a pretty technical one, and is you know, it will be an issue when uh, when the Schnorr taproot stuff happens. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit about that. I mean, the concept with an activation method is that you, it it, it has to do with the timing of when some feature or capability is going to happen. And you don't just want to release a new version of something uh, and then just have it be completely activated in the version that you release. But you want to somehow get uh, you know, support from the network or feedback from people on if they would like to do this thing. So you've got to activate it somehow. And there's lots of different ways you can do it. I'd love, love feedback from anybody on ways you think are good or bad or the so, ways that might happen.
0: I, I don't know too much about this either. I mean, I know that when miners put out blocks, sometimes they signal for <laughs> desired upgrades or desired... BIP activations and those blocks. And also nodes have a flag that they raise for um, certain things. I know that at least we did with um, the user-activated soft work. Uh, but I think you probably know a lot more about that signaling than anyone else does. Do you want, you want well, to say what you know about I mean, what, uh, signaling?
3: I mean, a little bit. I mean, just the way that I'm thinking about signaling is that you know we just had a having a couple months ago, and the having is a type of signaling. You know, the code says, you know, when we reach block 630,000, you know, adjust the formula to be this versus what it was one block before.
6: Right. And that's,
3: I mean, that's kind of exactly how it is for all these other types of signaling. It's just that we're not sure if it's going to happen or not. So the way that people signal for things in the past is that, you know, you might have to have... A string of 2,000 blocks where 95% of the miners all signal this particular feature in the block header when they when they mine the block and then you know you can calculate the percentage back over the last 2,000 blocks and then if that hits then it's activated and then the software recognizes it as activated from then on. Whereas like, you know, you're going to get to block 630,000, but you may not ever get 2000 blocks that have a 95% signaling for some feature.
0: Hmm. Um, I mean, is there kind of a difference between minor signaling and node signaling here?
3: Um, I think there probably is because in the minor signaling, uh, that is you know that that's like in the blockchain forever where the node signaling is more of a network feature to where right. you could look at the nodes on the network today and see who's signaling for something just based on your networking and that would like if all those nodes stop signaling that signal would go away forever and there's no record of it whereas right. there's a there's a long term record in the blockchain
0: yeah yeah, it's kind of cool it's kind of like uh signaling this kind of signaling is it's almost like options it's almost like derivatives on top of the consensus you know, mm-hmm. its it's like uh trying to predict the the changes in the consensus rules you know that's pretty sweet yeah that's cool i mean i haven't i haven't really done any of that that signaling
7: there's a know, new like... telegram group um just started actually in the last few days where a bunch of uh, prominent Bitcoiners are trying to get together and push the the narrative on Taproot and other VIPs getting activated. They're trying to make essentially better action steps like, okay, this is ready. Let's wait. We need to actually do this. And so there's a lot of discussion right. there going on about uh, how to do that. And it's pretty interesting. I'll probably have to invite anybody who's interested there to kind of just see the the um the progress but there have been a lot of proposals on on different types of signaling including one that uh jeremy rubin proposed that i don't really understand because i haven't been following this 100 percent but uh where essentially um there's actually economic like it's i feel like it's too aggressive but you're forcing uh miners to make a choice one way or the other and if they don't um they lose money or they tend to lose that block so it's like you make them say yes or no which oh, i think wow. that. Yeah, which I don't think that'll actually happen. And I hope not, because I think that's a bit kind of crazy. But, um, but yeah, so there's a lot of discussion going on, and uh, it's a good uh, room. I like that it's on Telegram, so like it's in my realm. You can always go see this on IRC whenever you want to go say hi to Luke or whatever. But being on Telegram feels much more cozy.
3: Yeah, and I, I'm in that I'm in that uh, channel as well, but I haven't actually. I mean, there's been so many messages over the last two days that. I haven't actually had time to read them attentively. But uh, it's really fun to see people just thinking about because I, I think that people saw with uh, with SegWit that just relying solely on the miner signaling was probably not a great idea because, uh, you know, who's to say that miners should have that power and that they're reliable to not be, um, you know, swayed to one side that might not actually be the best technical solution to something for their own self-interest. So it's fun to see uh, you know, new ideas for how this signaling could happen. And it's just a great example of how the, the protocol can change and you can come up with new ideas. Like, <laughs> But it's cra- it is really crazy though because you actually have to get the network to agree to do something. Like the whole reason for this signaling is that because you can't, just rely on social consensus and other things to make things happen in Bitcoin. You have to actually get the code to change, you know. And there's really no, no surefire way to make that happen.
1: Yeah, I, I recently heard the idea that referendums are actually undemocratic. And then I looked, and the, the evidence is from history that um, Napoleon was one of the first people that did this. So he overthrew the The Republic of France installed himself in as the you know supreme dictator or whatever, and then he had a referendum, and the referendum's just a single question: Do you approve the new constitution or not? And that and that it, it, that's not democratic. Like you haven't actually asked people's choice; you've just presented them one option, vote yay or nay, and force it on them. And it worked well for him. I was looking. I just looked it up. It's the 1804 French constitutional referendum. The percent of votes was 99.9% yes, 0.07% no, with 47.2% participation. If so you can just if you can just get it down to a single question, you can pressure people into thinking they've agreed to something when really you force them. You've kind of just forced agreement by making them make a choice, but you, it's not really democratic. That's a
7: really good example. That's a really good example of why we should not do any kind of forced signaling to minors or anyone um, at ever.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Like the option, there's, there's never an option on a ballot except for the movie Brewster's Millions for none of the above.
7: Yeah.
0: I, I there think there should gonna,
7: be. And right. even if there was, I think default should be none of the above. Like if you just don't vote. That should mean none of the above. Shouldn't be a uh, like a perverse or, or an incentive that like maybe you lose money as a miner if you don't vote.
0: I think uh, my my view of this it kind of relates to our previous conversation, and maybe I'm just overly optimistic. But this kind of stuff it relates to forks. You know, it relates to oh, what happens if you know half of the Bitcoin network wants to change the consensus mechanisms and. And half of us don't like, I think I, I'm not worried about the situation at all anymore. Like, I think maybe it's because of my, that experience with the fork wars or whatever. But if like, if Adam back wants to like, take his, his, a group of people in a certain direction, like I'm totally fine with that. Like Roger Ver taking people in the direction of Bitcoin cash, like did nothing but help Bitcoin. Like, he was a
6: minority.
0: Like, he was a minority fork. I feel like it's really irrelevant. I know, but that's but that's just like so there whatever happens, there's gonna be a minority and there's gonna be a majority fork. Like I think I, I feel like people us as a society, we're so used to thinking in terms of like voting for a person who is going to drive the ship in a different direction. And that's just not how it works in Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't get driven in a different direction by a group of people. Like that doesn't happen. I yeah, think it's, if it's,
7: you lose if you lose the, the hard-headed, if you lose the culture and the culture becomes more, you know, too loose, then you've got, you know, oh, you, not necessarily Ethereum because there's more things about Ethereum that make it worse, but you've got a way shittier, your security is much less. If the culture isn't against change, then you've lost a lot of what Bitcoin is.
0: But you know, there's there's the culture, and then there's the node operators. So it's like it doesn't really matter what like the people who talk on Twitter say. The only thing that matters is what is whether the node operators upgrade or not.
6: Yeah, you're you're
7: you don't have an actual. You're not part of the culture if you're not running a node. I mean, not,
0: it, that's what I'm saying. Like
7: node holders, unless, I mean, but
0: but like, there's nothing. Like I I just I just feel like when when we talk about this, oh, we're worried about you know, this movement, we're worried about that movement. Like, I don't think the average kind of temperament of the node operators is to upgrade. Like, I think the average node operator is just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not upgrading. You know, like, yeah, 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 I'm not really like, yeah, I heard Adam Back's done that, but Adam Back had that block stream thing and that liquid thing's been kind of weird lately. Yeah, I don't like fully trust that guy. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not upgrading. Like, I, th- I think it's extremely hard to convince people to upgrade their Node software to follow some leader. Like, I just...
7: And, okay. I, don't know. And I and I agree with you. And so I think maybe the difference is well, we're saying the same thing. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm worried. I'm saying that it matters. And you're saying you're not no. worried because it won't happen. So...
0: Even if it did happen, it's like... There would still be some people that continued to run the old Bitcoin blockchain. You know, it's like yeah, but it would be not. It, it doesn't valuable. go away. It would not be well, as
7: valuable yeah. if the if the if the year. You know, if there wasn't um, a cohesive culture around the rules and what it was, if it was just. Controlled. But this is,
3: and hey, JC, do you mean you mean for for Taproot specifically or for forks generally?
7: Um, forks. More generally, and change generally, any change, really. Well, right. I mean,
0: I think this soft fork anyway. So soft forks, this isn't even a conversation for a soft fork.
3: Well, that's what I was getting at. I mean, this is one hundred percent a soft
0: fork. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, okay. I guess I just had a different conversation. When we're talking about soft forks. Like, soft forks matter even less. You know, yeah. like. Yeah.
7: They definitely do matter less. Um, somebody did actually bring up today in the uh, BIP activation group, which is what it's become called uh, the, uh, the time, the time change thing. And he was very adamant that it needed to be implemented immediately uh, and fixed immediately and hard for it immediately.
3: Who? Adam?
7: No, uh, somebody, some guy that's on an anonymous account, but you know, <laughs> and people told him he was off topic. There he's like, "How am I off topic? This dip activation channel, isn't it?" And they wanted to steer the conversation back to Tapper. But I mean, kind of. Um, I kind of, you know, that is. I kind of feel for that guy. That is one hard fork that I would be behind.
0: No, I, there's no way I'd be behind that. No I'd way. Keep, I'd keep running my old node. <laughs> we don't need to, man.
3: We'll, like, somebody will figure something out before we need to do it.
7: And it's not a hard, it's not a difficult challenge. The, the difficulty is the longer we wait, uh, the more uh, people are going to be inconvenienced, the more services, the more businesses, the more wallets and protocols and you name it. The more of the ecosystem is going to be inconvenienced by the change eventually. Doing it now is a lot less harmful um, than it will be. 50 years from now or, or later and the, and the closer we wait to the deadline the more it's able to use as a weapon against bitcoin like portions of the ecosystem can make threats that, you know i'm not going to change unless we also add this or unless we also add that and it becomes more critical because we have to change soon so we better hurry up and agree to somebody's compromise
3: You know, you're showing your, you're showing your time privilege here because, you know, (laughs) what about people that are going to be born in the year 2021 that are going to have an opinion on this in the year 2050? Yeah. It's very shameful of you to show that privilege.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, like who's to say that we aren't going to figure out a way to do it with soft work and, you and you know, like, yeah.
7: It'd be hardly be a soft fork if their chain doesn't work without upgrading to the soft fork. Um, then it's like, you know, people can release competing soft forks. too. <laughs> I mean, it's, basically a, it's basically a forced soft fork, which is a hard fork.
3: So uh, what is the, uh, what do you think is more likely to happen? The, is it the Unix? What, what time system is it measured in? I don't know enough about it. <laughs> call it Unix. Uh, it's like, what's more likely? We get, we convince the whole world to change the time system or change Bitcoin
1: to fit the time system. <laughs> you know? I mean, what, <laughs> that'd be pretty funny. What yeah, devices that, are we actually going to be running Bitcoin notes on in 20 years? I have no idea. I don't know if it'll even be cell phones. You know, it could be some other piece of technology we haven't even thought of yet. You know, it's not. It's definitely not going to be the current operating systems. It's, it's probably not going to be 64-bit operating systems. Like the the amount of technology spray. that's going to change, incredible.
7: It'll be in your hairspray. And your hairspray connects via Bluetooth thousand point to your neural interface. Huh. Neural. I think
1: I, I think your social security card will be a Bitcoin node at the same time.
5: But that does yeah, interest mean, me, though, like um, what, you were, what you were referencing before, Steve, is that, you know, people now, the Bitcoiners now, they understand the options and privileges of not having to upgrade. But we've been raised in a culture, well, a lot of us have been raised in a culture where if you have a machine or like if you're running Windows or Apple, Linux, you upgrade to the latest and greatest for se- security you know, protection, right? So, like, what's what's to say, like, the new wave of Bitcoin node owners, they're ushered in by some messiah or some exact type of, you know, role model at, in Bitcoin who tells these people that, hey, if you want top-tier security, you want to protect yourselves the right way, you need to be running the latest and greatest node software. Like, isn't that, that's? I, I feel like that's a legit, you know, concern.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if that um if the people that run nodes, you know, get that mentality of like, oh, I have to do whatever my leader tells me, yeah, then the Bitcoin project's over. I mean Yeah. I mean, then then we're all like you know we're all shitcoiners then if we have <laughs> that if we have that mentality. I mean I, I would definitely sell. Like if, if Bitcoiners, if the community was like, oh yeah, we all have to upgrade as soon as the upgrade comes out, if it really was, like if I looked at that, um, that node distribution graph that BitNodes puts out, BitNodes.io, if I looked at that chart and it looked like it was becoming like more and more the exact same version of core and more and more everyone was upgrading, that would be the time I would cash out of Bitcoin. For sure. Because that's, that's extremely vulnerable. So yeah, I don't know.
1: If this date date issue does become a real problem, you kind of think of it like uh, a train that goes off the rails because the underlying date problem is the, is the tracks and Bitcoin's the train. I'm just going to follow that train once it goes off the rails. Like I don't care (laughs) if the dates are wrong. I don't care if the time is wrong. I'm following that train. (laughs) <laughs>
4: well i think it's like going do, down right, the side right. of a mountain so, doing governance.
0: yeah Sometimes. i mean there, there will be a fork that runs off the train and maybe that'll be fine and you know as long as you had coins before the split then you have both sides you have the you know the side that did run off the train and you side have the side that didn't run off the train and then maybe they're both valuable
7: if you if you look at the governance of for example, the United States Constitution.
0: Now, of course,
7: there's especially if you get to, you know, I'm sure Wade could could go into some fud on the Constitution's
4: creation, but
7: <laughs> if you look at it, at least initially, the intentions were very good. If you wanted to try to get a bunch of smart people into a room and come up with a document that you felt like could probably withstand tyranny, um, that was a pretty good uh, base for that. And and it was a lot of it was focused on you know, individual freedoms and the government, the constitution was, uh, you know, not saying like, you know, these are the things you, you uh, can do, saying these are things you can't do, essentially, or the government, the restrictions on government to impose on you. And now we have people talking about like, you're not allowed to have encryption anymore. Like, how is that so far? And these are all justified in some way by some interpretation of some part of the constitution. Um, to say, oh yeah, government can is allowed to tell you, I mean, according, if they pass this law on, if it, it doesn't get challenged in the Supreme Court, but um, the government's allowed to tell you, you can't keep it secret with math. Like that's so far from from the intention of any document. I'm not some kind of like, you know, constitutionalist, whatever guy. I'm just, as a principle, uh, just a general principle for an example, I think Bitcoin, could potentially and i hope not but it does and this is something i guess i do worry about you know after i'm long gone off this planet like who knows what the principles of the later generations are going to be um what they turn each little line of each little rule into
0: they're going to be better they're going to be even more decentralized than we are now <laughs> i hope so america did not get better
1: I mean, every every day Bitcoin becomes more legit and all of the old institutions kind of just keep decaying. You know, we're on we're on the ship that's on the up and up. Nobody's becoming more confident in the constitution when they're trying to ban encryption. They're becoming more and more scared.
5: Is Bitcoin a new constitution, okay. basically?
0: Hell yeah. Yeah, I'd Definitely say so. Is. It's like a next generation money. constitution. constitution. And, you know, it's an, it's another step in that direction to have rules instead of rulers. You know, like the Constitution was a first attempt at that and that kind of started to fail. And Bitcoin's like a better attempt at that, right? That's how I see it.
7: I mean, even the, the Torah for the Jewish nations, it was a set of rules. And, you know, initially their rules were good for them. But like humans are bad with rules because we create, You know, we start creating rules about our rules and rules about those rules about our rules. And the next thing you know, you got very religious, uh, zealous Jewish guys that would never break any Jewish law, but because they're not allowed to travel away from home on on the Sabbath, they take a brick from their house in their pocket everywhere they go. And so they're not leaving home anymore because the rules are, I have my home with me in my pocket here and I'm good. Like, that's what humans do (laughs) over time.
1: Here are the Every two chart. definitions of constitution. I think they fit Bitcoin really well. Uh, the first is a body of fundamental principles or established precedents according to which a state or other organization is acknowledged to be governed. So yeah, it's just principles and precedents that kind of make sense. And then the second one is the composition of something such just the genetic composition of a species. And I think that works too. It's just the techno- technical composition of a, decentralized project but those, those are the two things but it's principle but yeah as long as the principles or precedents say the same yeah it's a, it's a good constitution and also the you know the hard forks is how you change the constitution or or you, you don't need to change it every soft forks are what's already allowed based on other principle the previous principles and precedents hmm
0: I think what's really important for systems like this is that the initial creator or the initial ruler like disappears. I, I think George Washington, yeah, from what I was told about history, George Washington had the chance to be kind of the permanent ruler, like the permanent King if he wanted to be, but he kind of gave that up. And I think that's very similar to Satoshi going into hiding and remaining anonymous and not selling out like, the initial creator of this stuff. Give up a lot of power in the beginning for a chance.
1: That's a great press. That's a great example. I don't, I haven't thought about George Washington compared to Satoshi before, but yeah, I mean, imagine if you, if you know, he led it for two, Satoshi was in charge of Bitcoin for two terms. He was, had seen what the community had said, like some stuff they agreed with, some stuff they thought they didn't quite agree with, but he's like, "Well, I'm not going to make all the decisions forever. I'm just going to disappear. You get the general idea, you know it's a, it's a great currency
4: uh, if you can keep it."
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, the Benjamin Franklin quote. Yep. Is that the Benjamin Franklin quote? Uh, I, what do you say? So. It's a great, it's a great. Uh, I can't remember.
1: It's a great it's nation or a great a, country. If you, I hope Franklin. if you can keep it, something along those lines.
0: Yeah. Decide to be optimistic about the next generation, and that I feel like we're going through this kind of big depression right now. And I think depression makes for more thoughtful and um, conscientious thinking people. And like, I feel like this, the recent trend towards people being afraid and people like needing leaders is also in the same group of people being more shallow or materialistic because when things are good, you know, that creates a lot of weak people. When times are hard, you know that that creates a lot of, I don't know, more deep thinking people. So I mean, maybe these hard times that I feel like we're going through right now.
5: Is anyone else losing Steve, or is it just me? I'm I wasn't the first, but now I am.
2: Yeah, that's okay. pretty bad latency. Good for that.
1: I'll say this. One thing we can do to ensure the future of Bitcoin is good is we have to indoctrinate our own children. You know, one thing they always say about nations, you know, be prosperous and multiply, you know, make sure make the Bitcoiners of the future. You know, some people on this call are parents. Have you have you successfully indoctrinated your children into the, how many how many total coins there should be in the world? That sort of thing. <laughs> no, but that that's is a good bad. point. Yeah, we should grow up knowing twenty-one million. That's it. We should start a children's <laughs> festival where, like, you know, we have evil characters. They're trying to cause hard forks, and children can like throw things at them.
2: No, <laughs> go away! Get away from us! Don't touch me there, Craig.
1: <laughs> yeah, get, get out of here, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, then
5: Craig!
0: Bring yeah. on the hard forks i'm in i'm in the spot of bring on everything bring on the scams bring on the hard forks it's all good for bitcoin
5: so you're okay with hard forks in a sense steve
0: i'm i'm okay with 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 people trying them just because i'm really confident that i'm never going to follow any of them you know but it's it's kind of like yeah i mean i made I made money off of Bitcoin cash and that serious hard fork, it only my confidence in Bitcoin. And
4: so it's like
0: that experience. I mean, I was really worried there for a little while.
5: I guess for the group, do you guys think that there'll ever be a time where a hard fork is actually successful and, you know, survives the
1: original, you know, chain of Bitcoin. I think we're pretty well locked in. I think every hard fork attempt has made the idea of a hard fork seem like a worse idea and has made the idea of never hard forking seem like a stronger idea. And the momentum well, just kept moving that direction. We've done it very recently for bug.
5: Mm-hmm. It's like I, I kind of feel like hard forking is necessary to an extent because, I mean it just plays into the survivability aspect, right? I mean, if you weren't, like, let's say we weren't allowed to hard fork and something did happen that was catastrophic to Bitcoin, like main Bitcoin, there's no escaping at that point. Um,
1: But like, think about it as like, it's just like a not very smart strategy to use except for a very specific situation. Like, there could be a situation where, you know, let's say somebody lands on the West coast of the United States to invade it. And we just pull everybody out across the other side of the Mississippi. Like theoretically, that could be the the smart move to do at the time. But I I just don't see that happening. I think you've got, we've got a solid position right now. We should just keep defending it. Um, A a hard fork is just like a really weird scenario that, that it seems unlikely. Yeah.
5: It's like an escape, you know, pod in a in a sinking ship is the hard fork option.
4: Yeah.
0: I I just I think you guys just way overestimate the possibility of people agreeing on stuff. I mean there's there's still Ethereum classic. You know. Yeah. I mean it's like there's and as long as there is, like, one person that's still running the old chain, as soon as, like, the new chain starts to fail.
7: Saying that Bitcoin could be Ethereum Classic is not a comforting thing to say. <laughs>
1: Wait, was he saying Ethereum Classic or Bitcoin Classic?
7: Well, no, because, you know, in the scenario that he was giving, Bitcoin
5: would be the Ethereum Classic, and that's not a very good position to be in. At least Ethereum Classic, they stuck they stuck to their their con, their version of their constitution with Ethereum, right?
7: But it has low security, vulnerable to the main chain, it's got less development, it's got less value economically, it's much you know, it'd be much easier to, to, to mess with than normal Ethereum because they've got all the economic power, they've got all the hash power.
1: I mean, yep. you know, it's a bad position to be in. And At one point, they had no developers on Ethereum Classic. Like They, they lost everybody. And it's because Ethereum really, as a community, rejected Ethereum Classic. They they all, the consensus moved the other direction. Nobody wanted to keep it going, which is, it does show how, how completely different their mindset is than, than Bitcoin.
5: Yeah, I mean, in their, in their defense, they, they felt like they experienced a catastrophic event. To their main chain so they left now do you feel like that would be different if that happened to bitcoin you think like people would actually stick around and keep defending it even though it's been nuked
7: people just lost money that were stupid enough to put it
5: in buggy contracts and was that like the a primary feature of ethereum classic or right. just ethereum when it first came out like contracts like
1: yeah it it was that the code is law what was the rule and then they decided that they weren't going to do that anymore and ever (laughs) since the project has made a lot less sense And, and every I mean every contract on Ethereum has kind of failed catastrophically and lost people money because the code is not law you know hmm
7: Well, the code is law, but we can fork you. And we will
5: fork you if we don't like you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to understand, like, that's there in Ethereum. But how do we know that that's not there for Bitcoin? Like, if something fucked up happened with Bitcoin, like, how do we know it's not going to happen? Like, people are just going to run away from it.
7: I mean, if it was just one big, like, a bunch a bunch of money... I don't, I mean, I would hope it wouldn't happen. I don't think it would, but you know, it's hard to say for 100%, but, here's but
1: a, if it's like like
7: an inflation bug, then yeah, I think it probably might happen. Yeah.
1: If somehow Lightning Network collapsed all at once, I don't think we would have a hard fork to fix it. I'd, I really think Bitcoin would just keep going with it. however if everything settled out. I don't think we would try to fix fix things to repair where things were on Lightning Network before the crash. Like, and, and that would be the most the closest to everybody in Bitcoin being invested in a singular project, over invested in a singular project to where they would lose. It'd be painful if it went down. But I still think the Bitcoin community would not fork um, if there was some weird coin. Uh, Coin thing that happened because because lightning failed some somehow
5: yeah lightning is too small i mean it wouldn't be that would i wouldn't consider that catastrophic if lightning just collapsed to me at least like i consider how- like someone waking up with like half the supply of bitcoin in their <laughs> in their wallet i think that's catastrophic like the UTXO set and like, you know, yeah, that that like the UTXO set corrupted yeah. somehow.
7: But I think, well, I think it would be reorged basically, yes, with a fork, but only if it were like within the last few blocks.
4: Mm.
7: Like I don't think we'd go for like a week and then decide, never mind, let's go back and erase this
4: week.
1: There's also a level of skepticism with Bitcoin development where people are holding back Lightning Network and, and limiting how large it is, whereas Ethereum was like, had no, it never has any skepticism. Everybody can just all go in on the latest craze at the same time and they all think it's going to work out for them. And that's part of what's dangerous about, about the way they go. Or not or at least not conservative
5: yeah I mean they're, they're more of the Silicon Valley style where they're, they're building fast and breaking things where it's whereas Bitcoin is a little different you know security is paramount when it comes to Bitcoin
1: I also think they could all if they if something goes bad they all they all think they could just immediately start their own project, right after the last one failed. That's that's part of the, the move fast and break things aspect of Ethereum is, if this DAO fails, well we can immediately raise money for the next DAO will be even bigger. I, mean, I think
5: they have it in their terms or their clause or whatever statement it is on the Ethereum site that this is very experimental. Um, you know, Loss of funds is strictly on you. So, <laughs> And they they don't they don't shy away from that. And I, I, I think that might be on the Bitcoin.org website somewhere as well. But I mean, Ethereum with visible leaders—they're actually saying that. Just you can't you can't be you can't trust that at all. Like they're literally gonna break shit at will just to prove a point.
7: I wonder how many of these guys right now that are. Pumping the DeFi and and yield the, the farming on Twitter and saying, anybody who's not doing this needs to be doing this. Like, people need to know about this and et cetera, et cetera. Like, these guys know. These guys know that they're pumping something that's so that's you know the next ICO 3.0, <laughs> or do they just believe
5: their own uh, song each time? It literally scares me. Like, you know, recently I've been catching a lot of um, ads for like this Amazon, like um, selling stuff. Like, I guess you could sell on Amazon and make a ton of money on Amazon, to, like sell courses to you.
4: Like um, fulfilled by Amazon?
5: Yeah, fulfilled by Amazon. I've been seeing a lot of that recently. And um, it just reminds me, whenever I see the yield farming stuff and I'm like, if you've been making good money on yield farming, why do you need me to also make good money with you? On yield farming similar with Amazon like if you're making so much money on drop shipping like wouldn't it be detrimental if I came in as well and made a lot of money like I would kind of eat some of your pie like why would you want that
1: but um, wonder, you yeah. think Amazon's behind that that they're the ones actually pushing for it because fulfilled by Amazon seems like I like it from a capitalist perspective in that all you're convincing people to do is buy some inventory and see what happens <laughs> like, why should Amazon have to buy their own inventory if they can let speculators do it and maybe it'll work out? It makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, Amazon is
5: behind that just to handle their inventory issues, just push that liability onto the customers or to people, not Amazon. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But, like, yield farming, maybe that's a, that's that might be something that Ethereum is also trying to do, just trying to get some more customers to – to, to 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 take care of the buckets that are that are destroyed right now. Put some water in these buckets. It could be. Just no, it's like the, it's, just very, a,
4: it's yeah. a Ponzi,
7: man. The more people that are, the more people that are trying to yield farm, the more money there is for the dividends for the token. The longer the token continues to go up and set down.
1: Are like are Vitalik and uh, like Joe Lubin talking about yield farming, or are they just kind of pretend like not officially taking a stance, or what? What are they saying? I
4: haven't seen. I haven't seen that. I haven't been looking.
5: either. I wouldn't be surprised. There's a deep technical post from Ethereum. I mean, from um, from Vitalik, talking about yield farming that no one fucking understands. <laughs> like I feel like Vitalik just writes shit that looks so complicated and no one, I don't think generally people understand what he writes and maybe he doesn't either. But the fact that it's so complicated and so te- seeming so, te- so, so technical, he gets so much validity and credit and he's able to push and pump his products to like the nth degree Yes. And their marketing yeah. is great, like like yield farming. Like, come on, that's like a, such a tocky, you know, what Gen Gen Z style of term?
1: <laughs> yeah, yield farming. I, I was tr- this is sort of related to Dan, but uh, there was a YouTube video I was watching, and in the middle of the YouTube video, an advertisement came on from one of these Ethereum scam people that you know send me between one and 100 Bitcoin, and I'll send you back between two and 200 Bitcoin. Oh, and it's like a video of Vitalik. And I've been trying to contact the, the people that made the video trying to explain the problem. Like, you're, you can't have advertisements in the middle of your videos that are scamming your viewers. They'll believe that you're endorsing whoever's advertising on you. But I've still got a no response. I've been very disappointed about it. It's not a <laughs> cryptocurrency person. But you have to take responsibility for the ads that are showing up in the middle of your videos. You can't have straight up, you know, scams, advertising, because you are lending credibility to them. And this is on YouTube, right? Yeah, this was, at, have you heard of Rising? It's like a, a talk show on the hill. So it really has nothing to do with Bitcoin, but it just disappoints me that, that, this, that I can't get them to respond and like take some responsibility or just say something. Like what? What do you think about this? Like, are you okay with this? Is it's not something you can't stop? But who knows?
5: Yeah, that's that advertising. Um. Uh, what do you call it? It's like that advertising advertisers dilemma. Like, once you get that money from an advertiser, it's like you get there's a threshold of things that you'll accept that they show your viewers and that might just be a situation where hey i don't really care Just, just show show them and give me some money it doesn't seem that damaging to my users so
1: i don't think we can just have google handling your ads for you and just have random advertisers doing it if they're if they're gonna let scammers through like that i much prefer where like a podcast recruits their own sponsors personally like talks about this even though you can tell lots of times they're lying like they've never worn this underwear they're (laughs) not they're not buying these chocolate covered berries themselves but at least they at least they're like yeah this is fine you know this is fine underwear this is fine delivery service why not stamps.com is fine but you need you do need to take responsibility for where your money's coming from
5: yeah and it's just the gig economy at this point where everything's freaking at scale so like youtube twitter you know all the major platforms like it's just so easy to just post content on there and let them handle the advertising and you're completely out of the process of picking and choosing like maybe you might get to filter like hey i just want cryptocurrency ads or i might i don't want any you know triple x rated stuff on my stuff but that's probably the extent of how much you can limit limit it to but like you said, like, yeah, if people were actually willing to take the time and actually control that process and go out and look for advertisers, because I'm pretty sure there's, I mean, when I was launching a couple of uh, sites before, like, it wasn't hard for me to actually find people who wanted to genuinely advertise on my platform. Now, they weren't paying, I mean, you have to negotiate the prices and they weren't paying anything anything crazy, but they're out there and they definitely pay more than YouTube or google ads or whatever it is so yeah i mean it's just it's just a factor of actually doing the work to filter
1: and stuff and and the other thing with with this dumb just algorithm programming of the ads is so many times i'll be watching ivan on tech and then the ad is from ivan on tech and like (laughs) he's spending his own money on his own video like that has to be a money losing proposition
5: yeah that is brutal.
7: I think the Google, the Google ads are pretty dumb at that. Like, how they, if they see you go to a certain website that's paying them, then they will continue to show you that website's ads for the next week. Like, I already obviously know about this website because I was there, and that's like, <laughs> wouldn't, you, wouldn't you want wouldn't you want your ads to go to people? And it's almost like I feel like they want you to think your ads are working. Because I mean, I've experienced this myself, and <clears throat> it was on projects that would have marketing budgets and, you know, all of our users would say, like, oh, guys, I can tell you're spending a lot on ads because I'm seeing your ads everywhere. On every page I go, I see your ads. And it's just like, yeah, because they use Google ads and Google knows you went to our website, so it's showing you our ad. Like, but we were hoping that that money would go to people that didn't know about the website. <laughs> Not, okay. you know, like, just doesn't seem very, anyway.
1: It's kind of off topic this. It, it makes me really excited when I, the advertisements for me are just completely wrong because i just know that they're <laughs> wasting money it just makes me happy like i was looking up flags and then they started trying to sell me flags so i was like no i wasn't trying to buy a flag and then for the next week they were just showing me flags that just every time I was like good they don't know me i've tricked them <laughs> <laughs> yeah I- they
7: show me the same product that i already bought like i went and bought it and now they keep trying to sell it to me for a
6: week
5: yeah, I had an ex- NSA guy that I used to work with that um, basically what he would do is he wrote a script that would, like basically automate the browser to like just randomly search like a dictionary or uh, basically an index of terms that he wrote down of shit that he doesn't care about. And like every maybe like six hours, it would open up a browser on like some, I guess something on his com- on his uh, network and just search for some random shit. And he just would explain every day, like, how he would go online. And he would see just these bizarre ads of stuff that he doesn't really care about. And he was like, yes, this is
1: exactly what I wanted. <laughs> so I was like, wow. It's no distractions because once you once – you, if, if it's a good ad, it's taking your eye away from what you were actually trying to do. But if the ba- ads are bad, then it's, it's uh, almost like there's no ads at all. <laughs> And Sometimes I think Google juices their numbers. Like, have you? how often have you searched for a website and then the first – the on top of the search results is a link to the first search result, but it's a it's Google AdSense. So, ad so bad.
5: Yeah, so bad.
1: But it's the only way they can make it look like they have good click-throughs. It's just putting their paid link above the link that would have cost nothing if you just moved down another quarter inch. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like –
7: ever actually like your ads. Like sometimes though like if I see an ad or something that I actually want to buy, I'm like, that was cool. Thank you, ad people. I like this thing. It's very rare. But when it does happen I feel good about it. Like I mean it is rare for me too, but occasionally I'm like, hey I wouldn't have known this thing existed if it wasn't for you guys spying on me.
1: <laughs>
7: hmm, Casey, have you to run into any
1: any good shopping stuff lately for, for Bitcoin? Um
7: Well, we've got your – I mean, if you're not on strike, everybody needs to be on strike now. It's open. Anybody can join. You're both in the same state as me, so I know you're eligible. And uh, it's great. Like, now you can buy things from Fold without ever having – you don't have to spend and replace anymore. You can, from your bank account, get the bonuses for buying with Bitcoin on Fold and then cash out your Bitcoin back. So you can basically use fiat to buy these gift cards and get Bitcoin back but it's paying, you know, full it's really good. Um, and there's no fee. So like even cash app has like up to 2% fee. So if you're making 4% on Amazon or whatever, half that goes to the cash app. Um, with, with this, like you're just gonna get 4% Bitcoin back and that's that, and it's great.
1: Nice. And what's the one, it's kind of like it's one of these that they just give you discounts for just any website that you're kind of browsing and they there one like that, like Honey or something but the Bitcoin equivalent?
5: Oh, Lolly.
1: And L- Lolly's still doing good.
5: So you, Lolly just used them yeah. by the way.
7: <laughs> Lolly has some good rewards, but the only thing I don't like about it is that you you you're using your dollars. So it's like if you're shopping with dollars then then you'll make some money with Lolly. But if you want to shop with Bitcoin Lolly's not gonna help you. But then if you're using Strike, you're using dollars anyway. So theoretically, I guess you could use Strike to buy stuff on Fold to buy stuff with Lolly. <laughs> nice. Like if you went to hotels.com, which I think is on Lolly and is on Fold. So you could use your dollars to buy hotels.com gift card, get your percent whatever it's like seven percent. And then Lolly, I think if you like, I don't know seven or eight percent if you use their thing and then use your gift card you'd you know get bitcoin twice i guess
5: yeah i've actually used lolly recently and it was an awesome experience um i'm kind of pissed off because i really have like a big collection of udemy udemy uh courses which is one of the um sites that lolly pays cash back rewards on and um yeah i used i bought like a course or something Uh, i forgot what it was about And um, it was relatively quick that I got my rewards back, and I think for you to me, it was like 17% back cash back, which is fucking out of control. Like 17% of your purchase gets converted to Bitcoin.
7: That's very nice.
5: Yeah. So I was like, oh my god, if I knew about this like two years ago, which I know they weren't. They might have. Yeah, they could have been out two years ago. But if I knew about this earlier, I would be like, yeah, I would be pretty good (laughs) with some more Bitcoin. Man,
7: yeah. Only thing I don't I know, like, you know, they have a $15 minimum. So.
5: Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Old
7: stats on there. It's your
5: baller. That's why you didn't know. You know, it's funny because I've been using, like, I've been expensing those purchases for work because, I mean, it's for training. So, I mean, like, hey, am I going to, I guess, give these Bitcoins to my job? No.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so, why Bitcoins? <laughs> But but that's yeah. how it is with everybody. Like one of the big things that people love um, doing travel at their jobs is lots of jobs will let you like keep like your miles. your yep. miles. Yeah, as one yep. of first.
5: Oh yeah. So this was like that first, I guess, retail Bitcoin buying experience when I I experienced that I was like, holy shit, that's fucking amazing! Like rewards with Bitcoin. Now I want to get into the gift cards game, but. That, that that might take some some time. But Wally's pretty dope. So this strike thing that you were talking about, um, maybe if you can can you post that a uh, link?
7: Uh it's strike.me.
5: Oh, so strike.me. It strike dot me. Oh
7: strike.me. Mm-hmm. And uh should be easy enough to, to remember, but um yeah. Yeah, strike.me and it's really great. It's a wallet uh uses, um forget the payment processor they use, but basically it's got most, I guess that's another wall you might run into if you don't have a, one of the, the valid banks whatever right on there, but it has most banks. It's got like Capital One and Wells Fargo and Bank of America and basically most of the normal banks, unless you have some weird, uh, weird bank or some like uh, credit union, whatever. But uh, um, yeah, so... Uh, You just connect your, you go in there, and for most users, it only requires phone number and an email address, Uh, or maybe it's a name and phone number. Actually, that's what it. Yes, for most users, the only KYC you need is name and phone number, because they use some kind of like um, some kind of like more advanced KYC where it's like, if it knows you're the kind of person, like if it knows who you are,
4: Mm
7: -hmm. it'll trust. Like if you, like if you're like a person that's on the grid and you're using your number for other things. Like, it knows. And so it just, like, it knows if you can respond to, like, whatever digit code on your SMS, then you're probably you enough for them not to worry about you, like, defrauding them. And so that's all they want. But if you're kind of off the grid a little bit, um, or if you're doing maybe, I don't know, I don't know what their criteria is, but if they feel like you might not be really a real person, then they do make you do more KYC. But for most people, just a phone number and a name is enough, which I think is really cool. Um, And super smooth onboarding. And then uh, you just log into your online bank from the Plaid app, that's what it's called, on, on, within their app. And then uh, all you have to do is click deposit. You type in the amount you want to deposit from your bank. It's instant with no fee. And then you can pay any Lightning invoice for anything, including to yourself. So if you want to buy Bitcoin with zero fee at all and instantly to your Lightning wallet, just create an invoice for however much Lightning you're trying to buy, Bitcoin you're trying to buy, and pay yourself with Strike. And wow. I- receive bitcoin with no fee because it doesn't care who the invoice is from it's just going to pay it so if it's from you you're paying yourself
5: jeez yeah i'm on the site it's really dope wow it's actually a really good ui and ux
1: i had okay. a weird it's sort of related to kyc thing happen this week where i bought a domain name then the next morning i get this email saying oh we'd we canceled that purchase because you used a VPN, which was insane to me. But they think VPNs are like such an odd technology that it must be a fraudulent transaction if you bought a, a domain a ten dollar domain with a VPN. What what um hosting site was that or
5: domain site was that? I don't remember. Let me try to look that up.
7: Because it might be, it might even be more about surveillance than it is about. Fraud.
4: Yeah. That's fucked up.
7: I've noticed, like, phone numbers have become incredibly powerful. Um, You know, it used to be you could just create an account with an email address, and you could create an email address, you know, just with nothing. Um, But now, everything wants a phone number, and that phone number, you might feel like it's not a lot, but that phone number... To the right people is
5: everything. Yeah, it ties you to so much.
1: Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Upset.
7: You, you guys have
1: like uh, fake numbers at this point, right? Yeah, but I bet you it's
7: it's hard to even get a fake number. It's not
1: tied to a real number.
7: Like if you're using but, Google Voice, it's tied to a Google mm-hmm. account, tied to a number. Yeah,
1: but yeah, I, I would not use like your main number. There's there's just apps you can get to free texting apps. That's what I use lately. Is one of those.
7: If you try to use one of those on, it's going to be like, "Huh, I don't know who this guy is," and it's going to make you send a picture of your ID and your face.
1: Oh, <laughs> the the website that rejected me for a VPN was Ionos. I O N O S. That's a problem. This one. wasn't even like a intense VPN. This was just my work VPN. Like corporate VPNs aren't trying to hide that much. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah, what I used to do is I
5: used to just get SIM cards, like um. If like, I, I used to have like Boost Mobile and like these weird other companies that just get you some boosts, I mean some um, some SIM cards I don't remember if I had to really put real, because I never put real my real name when I purchased them and I was pretty okay um, it's just that you, you constantly have to pay <laughs> it's so annoying to like pay money into it and then that's tied to a credit card yeah. which is tied to you so yeah it's it's really i mean if you want that level of opsec i don't know what to tell you other than completely using miners bitcoin (laughs) coins and going from that route (laughs) i'm uh
7: there's a group of very strong privacy advocates that i i hang out with you know just to kind of gain from their observations and knowledge because i mean they're obsessed they're like on every little piece of law, every little piece of legislation, every single change in policy on different apps. And uh, like we're at a point now where I don't even think most people realize um, to the extent their privacy is compromised, if you're using either an Apple OS or a Microsoft OS or even some Linux OS, um, like it doesn't matter if you use a VPN, it doesn't matter if you use a fancy browser because your operating system is gonna tell on you. Like, right. and and actually using the VPN, might even be like a flag for the operating system to be like watch what he does particularly during these moments like because he's using a vpn like you you just stuck yourself away from you know if there's a 300 million people uh using windows in the united states or whatever today uh, i know that's probably too many people but whatever the number is um and only one percent of them are using vpn well let's look at that one percent because those are the ones that maybe you're trying to hide something so you might even be like making yourself more visible by trying to do things to make yourself more invisible
1: i think they changed the ip address protocol and i think every internet connected device now has a unique identifier on it and you just can't hide that that much
7: and actually there's a website uh that'll tell you your fingerprint like every single thing that your browser is telling about you to the website and i thought I was good like i thought that i was taking the steps i needed to take like i knew that it would take it would like you know it's like your video card because it quote unquote it needs that information to render the page properly whatever it'll tell you resolution so you know to a degree it's like well Okay, anybody, so this guy, we know he's got this resolution on his monitor, we know he's got this video card, we know he's got this processor, we know he's got this version of Chrome, whatever. But it's worse, because actually, when I ran it in um, even a private version of Firefox that was like supposed to be more private, whatever, like, he was giving a serial ID for my sound device, which was unique to me. Okay. So, yeah. any site that I went to would get that audio s- serial number. And would like, you know, if you were looking for me, you would have something that was uniquely me on every website. Um, no other person in the world would have that serial number on my on my for my audio device. Um, and you know, it could be a number of things like that. But just like this particular piece of information is telling on you everywhere you go.
1: Um, I just went to one of these, and it says my desktop is running Win32 OS. Is that, why is it still 32?
5: You run a 32-bit window, Windows machine?
1: I don't think so. I don't it must think that's the,
5: the 32 or 64-bit distinction. But yeah, I mean, honestly, like, for me, <laughs> uh, anything personal, like, there's no way I'm going to be able to escape getting fingerprinted, like, on my OS or, like, my, like, My main rig on my computer, my phone, like that's just, you're not escaping that. But being able to develop, you know, more for like um, bit metrics and stuff like that to develop like browsers that can escape detections like that, um, I could tell you, um, get into writing code so that you can actually build automated browsers. So I'll tell you the best one right now is Selenium, if you want to start. Uh, you could basically spin up a browser of any any sort populate your own user agents populate your own you know video cards or sites that have lists of just generic videos uh, video card indexes or sound card indexes that you could populate to make yourself look completely real to avoid fingerprint de- uh, detection and it works pretty well now you have to do like a lot of trial and error because there's really good anti-detection uh, systems out there like Google AdSense. I've been trying to like fool them for a while and they just, they're they're fucking rock solid. Um, but I mean, for just other stuff, like um, I guess like really menial tasks, like you just want to go online and avoid being fingerprinted. Yeah, just use like a, um, what do you call it? An automated, you know, browser that you spun up yourself. Even on your own operating system they're not gonna be able to fuck with that now obviously the safest way is to get a a a, a, a machine in the cloud and run it from the cloud if you can but then you're, well, you're I mean, losing you're the operating with your browser
7: because it can but, see but not see the one the you spun up web pages up. it can see yeah because it can see the names of the pages it can see the ips that you're going to it can see all that it can see every page you click see how long you're there doesn't need to be doesn't need to talk to your browser to know that
1: it's been fascinating well, that's, to see
5: that's the- that's the you're talking about the end so yeah past the browser like when a, when a packet actually leaves your computer to go on to connect to some server to wherever it's going to go yeah of course the operating system has that information both in a browser that you encoded yourself i mean unless these guys are writing you know all the permutations of all the combinations of browsers that can exist i mean no, there's no, no way wow. they could know that yeah
7: but but they know you know they can tell you're going to a website
5: of course Look at, looking, of looking at packets yeah yeah looking at packets of course yeah that's that's not going to be avoidable
1: you know there's all this backlash happening about tiktok right now and it's unfortunate that, no, that there's not a cohesive bigger privacy response it's not just ban this one chinese app when i everyone's complaining because they're like don't just take tiktok away if you want to get serious about privacy get serious about privacy but don't just do this one stupid thing you know and and no one seems to be offering a solution of actually enforcing privacy in a main way because both parties are not not down with cutting off that advertising revenue
5: no you know one what? gives a fuck about privacy, or they wouldn't be on TikTok, exposing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> themselves my, <not> uh, naked. <laughs> exactly.
7: My Facebook Oculus, my VR Oculus, somebody exposed it. It actually keeps a record of every window I open and when and what the window is called. So oh, if shit. my browser is called, um, you know, Bitcoin.org, because I'm at Bitcoin.org, it knows I have Bitcoin.org open and when and how long and when I go to another website, it knows that too. Like it doesn't have to, it's not in my browser, but it can see the name of the window that my browser has open. And it can see the name of every app that I open, which is, you know, essentially everything that I'm doing. It can see the name of everything that I'm doing and when I'm doing it.
4: Um, so. yeah. One, yeah, that's one day. Like,
5: like obscurity is also another, option as well even though obscurity can get you into trouble you can randomly like if you're using an index from a obscurity there's i think there's a few obscurity indexes out there where you can just get like a list of random shit oh this is full your browsers
7: even if you made your own browser Mm -hmm. you would
5: actually be unique because
7: you would not be identifying yourself as any browser and so you'd at least be as unique as the people who are also not identifying themselves as any browser at all. And that would be your fingerprint and whatever. And I'm sure that would be a a minority. Um, So you'd be putting yourself in a small subset of users. uh, And that would be the small subset that have no fingerprint.
5: Right, but I don't mean creating like a unidentified browser. You can still use, like when you use your, your user string or user agent string, you can just, Pass it as Google Chrome or Edge. Okay,
4: yeah, that's yeah.
5: smart.
4: You want that's the thing is pick. you want
5: to still look normal, but you don't want it to be your true normal.
7: So I found the site that I like best. I think is I am or no am I unique. Am I unique. dot org? It'll tell you the percentage um, that you're in. So if you have a very unique fingerprint, like uh, it'll tell you how how unique so of all the people that they've measured how many are like your fingerprint and in my case I just went there now and I'm not making any efforts you know to make myself more private in this way but um I'm essentially completely unique um none of the people that they've connected data from have the same fingerprint as me so every website I go to essentially I'm leaving a very distinct fingerprint that's you know I am this user Um, But if you go there, you can see yourself, your own.
1: What what is a similarity ratio duration? Do you know what that is?
7: Yeah. So uh, how long? So over a longer period of time, it's more likely that people would have been similar to you. So, you know, what are the chances somebody has your exact fingerprint in the last seven days is less than if somebody ever had your unique fingerprint? Does that make sense? So if you go all time, um, it's more likely that somebody will be similar to you. But if you want to make sure you're unique, you know, in a a more strict sense, like now, like let's say, you know, for example, maybe you were using the most popular version of Chrome at one point in time. And so let's say like 40% of people had the same fingerprint as you. But let's say that you haven't updated in five months and everybody else did. Well, even though five months ago you were part of the 40%, maybe now you're part of the 3% um, because nobody's using that old version of Chrome anymore. So more more recent matters. But uh, were you very unique or not? I get a feeling, of course, that you weren't,
5: um, unless you were well, very. It says all time, busy. yes. But, I mean, I don't do much to my browsers that I regularly use. Neither, neither do I.
7: I mean, these things are even, you know, they're looking at everything. They're looking at what fonts you have installed. So if you've got special fonts installed, that identifies you. If you've got, um, if you've got you know, languages on your OS installed, that, that identifies
1: you. If you've got – The, could the be fact that one. I'm in – the fact that North Carolina has a do not track list is identified on here. So even <laughs> though it's saying do not track, it's telling everyone I'm from North Carolina. Yeah, telling everybody that you're
5: from North
7: Carolina and you're on the do not track, which makes you a smaller percentage of people.
5: It's so looking you at battery percentage too, which is funny. <laughs>
6: yeah,
7: I mean, it's, this is literally like every piece of information they can glean from your from your browser, which is a lot. It's telling me how many extensions I have, and even how many shader precisions I have on my video card. I'm, I'm part of zero point two seven percent with my unique uh, number of uh, webGL perimeters
5: so these a lot of these I guess variables are variables they 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 will change on a normal person's computer so like what like let's say because they're using fingerprinting almost now as a new cookie at this point so like let's say I go on. Oh, you know, um, JC, your website, and then I go to um, Amazon, and they're using that fingerprint. But during that time frame that I I went from JC's website to Amazon, my laptop battery went from seventy percent to twenty five percent.
7: Well, you know, if you were a tracker, you would know certain variables are going to change, so you wouldn't you wouldn't use that variable to identify a unique person. You wouldn't use battery. So
4: you'd use something
7: more like the font and the, you know, things like that, that aren't, as likely to change. Probably some combination of those things. And, and then even like, you know how Google, when you forget your password, they ask you a bunch of questions. They don't expect you to answer all the questions right. They use probability. Hmm. So they decide is it more likely than not that you are you, given the answers that you gave. And that's how they determine you are you.
5: Yeah, we're getting into the realm of algorithms now where people are really trusting. And this is a, these are the smart people who are really trusting these algorithms to guess and guess correctly. Um, and and a lot of the stuff's going to be privatized. Like the, what you just said there, like, okay, there's going to be a tracker who's really good, who's going to know which one of these factors will really determine who you are. And that's going to be privatized and probably not shared you know, amongst you know most of the other competition because there's definitely competition with trackers, and um, yeah, it's gonna be really interesting. But yeah, that does
1: make sense. I also think about how, like in a court of law, a jury would just see, oh, you have the exact same screen ratio, screen uh, resolution as the as the killer. You must be <laughs> the killer. That's, that's yeah. just too much of a coincidence.
7: Yeah, I could see that until I have it. Like right now, apparently my screen width and screen height puts me at 3%. A jury, um, you know, a, a judge, or not a judge, a, a good lawyer could probably make a case around that 3%. So that's, you know, only 3% of people had his screen resolution. I've got a fucking 1440p monitor. It's like one of the most common in my mind amongst gamers. But I guess not amongst everybody because I'm only at 3%. Fan. So I mean, but you know, yeah, for you, really you could you could make
1: that sound really bad, I think, in front of a
4: century. Sure.
1: Wow, green resolutions great. are peculiar. It seems like they never want to standardize,
7: and they do kind of have standards.
1: But like, like it's not just 1080p. Like they always want to vary a little bit, have a little bit of extra pixels on the top or bottom or or left and right, and you know.
4: Mm, I don't know. <laughs> no, I feel
7: like they do pretty much like 10 AP is pretty much going to be exact. Unless you have like a very ultra wide or like, you know, weird curved monitor or something like that. You might have a,
5: but they kind of are in little buckets.
7: <laughs> I like the buckets analogies.
5: Yeah, so this is what I, yeah, this is basically what I used to do because there's a bunch of stuff you can still spoof here. Oh, you can spoof basically all of it. Yeah.
7: Because your browser is, you know, the, the, your browser is the authority on this information.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: So you could spoof every single one of
4: these variables. I'm pretty I sure. A,
1: I have a question. Um, it's just general technology stuff. But you know how everybody complains that when they install the latest version of, like, iOS, com- um, their iPhone slows down?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Is that because when they first installed all the apps on their phone, they were getting compiled for a different version of the OS? And so they were compiled. So now you've got a new OS, and it's going to innately be inefficient because it's not all oh. your programs were installed for the wrong optimization?
7: Apple's actually gotten sued. I'm Probably, I think it's still pending, but I haven't followed the case. But I know they were sued. Whether or not it's been resolved, I'm not sure, but they were sued because somebody proved that they were making it slower on purpose to make you buy new phones, um, and they did things like, for example, they would do it in subtle ways. Like uh, one of their updates um, changed uh, the temperature they would allow on the battery, so that it would throttle your phone more at a um, at a lesser range. So let's say certain range of temperatures that your battery is normally going to get within um, before they throttle you. And if you increase that range, I'm not, I don't think this was the exact metric, but it was something to do with battery metric. Um, and they increase the range where it would throttle you um, more aggressively, and so you know when your CPU is being throttled, it's literally slower, and so um, you will feel like your phone is slower because it
1: literally is slowing your processor down, uh, <laughs> stuff like that. So they're making the battery hot to force the processor. No, they're making the battery hot. They're just
7: um changing variables uh that allow it to throttle you so the battery's doing the same thing it's always doing but they're changing the way that they use that information
5: to determine that you need to be slowed down um so you know tricky <laughs> things like that we know android does the same thing though
7: uh, there was the similar thing. there were similar accusations but there haven't there wasn't as much concrete proof i think like, i think there was like a specific like essentially a very strong piece of evidence um and 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 apple did come out with like an excuse like oh well it's because the phone is older and we wanted you know we felt like the batteries were of you course. know not as good anymore or whatever but i mean it was they knew what the result was going to be that people's phones would be slower
5: um yeah i mean apple phones every single one is pure authoritarian at that point like to apple apple's the prime authority with an Apple phone. You're not really effectively jailbra- jailbreaking it or rooting it. You're not doing none of that. So yeah, they're going to do that. I'm pretty sure um, Android, they do that as well, but if you root your phone, you're good. Um, if you have all that base shit on, on Android, your phone is running like shit anyway. So like...
7: <laughs> Dude, I, I, I don't, I've got over 400 apps on my phone right now and uh-huh. every time I update my phone, it has to like optimize every app for the update. And so every time I update my phone, it has to go through this giant list of, like, okay, oh, app number God. one, app number two, app number three, app number four, app number five, app number six, all up to, like, 483. Um, and, yeah, I keep trying to, like, delete stuff. And I cannot. I'm, like, I'm out of things that I want to delete. How can it be possible? 400 things left. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't imagine... Actually, wanting to have 400 apps.
7: <laughs> I want 400 apps. Like, but that's the thing. Like, it doesn't feel like I have 400 apps when I look at every app. It's like, no, I can't delete that one. No, I can't delete that one. No, I can't delete that. Like, I've looked over my apps like a bunch of times, just scrolling and looking at the page. Like, nope, can't delete that one. And it's like, how can there be 400 apps that I can't, that I don't want to delete?
1: JC, so uh, You so. need to look at each app and think. And see, does it make you like, have a feeling of joy? A spark of joy when you um, look at it? Probably yes. For if, you, if, if the answer is no, on
4: no, the
7: Some of it is like um, like um, maybe some old shitcoin wallet. It's like, well, what if I still got some keys on there? That has some shitcoin yeah. on them. I don't know. And then mm. I delete it and I'm deleting money. Or another one is like an APK extractor. Well, what if I want to extract an APK from an app, you know? I'll need the APK extractor for that. So another one is like, um, well, okay, there's Target. There's like three different hardware wallets that I hardly ever use, but what if I want to use it? Like, I won't use my hardware wallet. I need the wallet. I don't want to back up my wallet every time I use it. Then I got uh, Fiverr and my Civic identity, which is that ERC identity thing, but I have an ID on there. So what if I came across a Civic thing that wanted my ID? I would need that.
5: You um you even find all these apps on your, like, you have, like, I use 40, the sc- you have what? I'm sorry. Oh, I, I use the search, so on the app store. Oh, my search. God. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. I have to That's use a lot
7: when of, I, when I remember that I need something, I have to
5: search it. Holy shit. I didn't even think that that was a useful feature until now, <laughs> but yeah.
7: <laughs> uh, but, I mean, most of the stuff, like, on my first, my homepage obviously has my most used stuff, and then I have an app app. Uh, like a sidebar with uh 10 apps in it and one of those apps is a folder so it's like a folder of like 20 apps in my sidebar and then you know so my most everyday use stuff is easy to get to but if it's like oh i need my apk extractor i don't know where it is i have to type apk
5: and as I forgot, I, I mean I haven't used Android in a while. But um, do they do a situation where like if you don't, if you haven't used an app in like seven days, like they uninstall it and just put it in the cloud somewhere? No,
7: it's there, but it's uh, sleep. No, it's not running though. They'll like not let it run. Okay. But I'm All using right. Samsung and they a lot. They have a lot of extra little features like quality of life. Like man, I don't know how much of this happens on normal Android actually because I haven't used normal Android in so long. But I know some of it. At least doesn't tell them. when I look at like my friends' phones, they don't do this. My friends' Android phones, but like it tells me like this app access your location. Or um, you know, this app just use your camera. Or like, especially if the app's not running. Um it'll tell me like, you know, the app they're trying to do stuff in the background and it'll tell me like which apps those are
5: and when they try to do that thing. Yeah, those are really good tools to have like really good tools yeah i like that yeah apple does not have that per se unless when you're first installing it it tells you what the app will do but well i heard they recently did that for the clipboard and that's how they found out that tiktok was so evil And it goes back to the discussion. I don't think people even care. Like, there's literally people that would be like, "Okay, I'm I'm good." It's just this the the few, you know, the I mean, clipboard minority. could be
7: a really sacred thing. Clipboard is like a very private thing to me, because Crypto yeah. people, we're probably putting private keys and seed words and all kinds of stuff on our clipboard all the
6: time.
5: Yeah, us. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna yeah. be mad. But everyone else, is like, oh, what's a clipboard? Like, you could have that. See, yeah, <laughs> I have yeah. nothing to hide. <laughs>
7: I <laughs> there's no other way for me to like put a private key somewhere other than with my, basically with my clipboard this is the easiest way. Yeah. Um, and you feel like it's private; it's your own copy and paste, right? But that's a completely transparent thing to all your apps.
5: And that is literally problem. like committing murder. <laughs> snooping, snooping someone's clipboard, like, <laughs> Control C, Control V, like, you're snooping that information. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. Fucking insane.
1: Yeah, yeah And if you can actually access somebody's computer, you, you know, you can just plug in something into a USB on the back and it'll just grab everything. You'll immediately have their whatever password they used to log into Windows. Just, you know,
4: one click by. If
7: you can get your Windows password, I didn't know if you could or not, I kind of assume you could, but if you can get your Windows password that easily then you can get all your credit cards and all your passwords on Chrome, which is basically everything.
6: Because yeah, Chrome only brutal.
7: protects your passwords and credit cards with your Windows password.
5: Same thing, if you and I also found about this vulnerability the hard way. If you run Chrome on your phone um, mm-hmm. and you sync to like your desktop Chrome, whatever, or just Chrome mm-hmm. in general, um, it uses, I believe the pin number that you or whatever security mechanism is on your phone. So if someone knows your, um, pin number, I guess it is Is a pin number, then they can also access that as well. If
7: you can, if you can, I don't know about pin, but,
5: uh,
7: yeah, if they're like, if you hack my desktop right now, you can hack my phone because, um, or you could at least make me install apps on my phone, um, from my, you know my chrome account on my desktop is logged into to my chrome account so is my phone and if you're in your you know android account on an android phone you can like push apps to install on other devices that are logged in as you so uh, if i were gone and you had my computer you could push an installation of a dirty app uh, onto my phone and then of course do whatever you want on my phone
5: that's not good Google Authenticator. <laughs> but that doesn't solve copy and paste, though. Copy and paste is so
1: sacred. Like, I don't know. That's bad.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: That, that might be at some level of the, of the operating system that's just too, I don't know, too clean. It's just not hidden at all.
7: People feel like copy paste is invisible because they can't see it. Like if so, you put it on the top of your screen every time you had something in your clipboard, mm-hmm. you wouldn't feel like it's, you wouldn't feel like it was private. Yeah, but you feel like it's this like obvious like this this thing that's like in the guts of the computer that just doesn't exist. It's a magical clipboard, but
1: no. it's because you can't paste the last two things you copied in a row. It's because it's just one at a time that you have this idea that it's just gone forever.
7: Right.
5: Yeah, your system's archiving every single thing.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: probably reporting it to whoever, whoever's app pays the most money.
4: <laughs> and
7: something that I learned, and maybe you guys already knew this, but something I learned from hanging out in the privacy group was that in order to do push notifications on your phone, requires a direct IP to IP connection. Huh. Like You can't push notifications without a direct connection that is active. So if your OS is pushing notifications to you about certain things, like you are directly connected to their servers.
1: Wow. All of this makes me appreciate uh, hardware <laughs> wallets so much. Like the only thing that's actually safe about my life is, is my Bitcoin. Everything else is just uh, a unlocked door. Maybe it's, I mean, maybe it's just swinging open in the wind. <laughs>
7: Really I mean, harbor wallet is makes me feel so much better and even and I'm very paranoid. like I'm paranoid about all my VPNs like like I said, I feel like I'm more if I want if I want the feds to see what I'm doing, I should use a VPN because then they're gonna look harder on all their other ways they're spying on me.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, but uh, but 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 a harbor wallet, especially with multi-six. so like for example, this is something that I was actually running into recently where I just got the new Cobo wallet. I really like it because it has camera on it and a thumbprint reader on it. So in many ways, so it uses its camera to read QR codes on your phone. So like if you create, if you generate a transaction on your phone, because your phone knows your XPUB, and so you can generate the transaction on your phone, um, send the information about the transaction by QR code to the hardware wallet, which is a very secure way to send data. You're not gonna hide malicious data in the QR code because it's transparent. and then the hardware wallet's going to sign it, put a QR code of the sign transaction that the phone's going to read, and the phone's going to broadcast it. To me, that is a very, very, very cold way of storing. Um, you know, it's better than plugging in USB. It's better than uh, using an SD card like the cold card wallet does. Um, that's an incredibly safe way. Like, you're not going to maliciously send malware that you know to my hardware wallet that way. But on the other hand. In order to have all these fancy features like fingerprint reader, which it does, and the um, and the camera and all this stuff, you didn't just invent the chipset with all these things. You used Android, and Android is a massive attack surface. If you actually took that hardware and you had like a good hardware hacker, I'm sh- I'm not that confident you couldn't get the private key out of it. Somehow it does have a private uh, secure element on it, but still, it's an Android so. Might even be able to get the secure element to spit out the, the keys to you or sign things for you or whatever um, if you were, you know, if you had possession of the wallet. But my cold card, um, it's all, you know, proprietary open source uh, stuff. Oh, I say proprietary and open source, but, but I meant to say it's made, self made, you know, with, so you're way more sure it has no back doors. It's not using Android hardware. It's not using you know, all this licensed thumbprint readers and all the other stuff. It's much more trustworthy, um, but it uses SD card to communicate. Now, SD card is a pretty good way of keeping cold, but I was watching on YouTube the other day these hardware hackers who hacked SD cards. SD cards have CPUs in them. Do not know that. Your SD card is a computer. Wow. You can program it to do whatever the hell you want. If you, there's no tools that exist for that, that are public, so it's very like low level. You'll have to like determine the, the stuff. Yeah, you'll have to really get into. You have to really be a deep hacker. But um, but it's possible to, you know, you could have a, a an SD card that said it was an eight gig, but really it's a two fifty six gig, and it's keeping a record of everything that's ever been on there. For example, just one example. And worse, you could have it like push a package out over the internet every time you plug it in your computer. Like you can make it do anything. It's a computer, so. Theoretically, it can do anything. So even though the cold card uses SD card, theoretically, you're plugging a computer into your cold card and then back into your computer. So, you know, if you know that, so it's not necessarily as cold as you thought it was, um, but still very safe. I mean, who can hack an SD card? Basically, have to be a government probably at that point, but still possible. But the real security, the reason I bring this up, between the cold card and the Kobo. So I've got the QR communication on the Kobo, but the weak hardware with the Android. And I've got the really strong hardware on the cold card, but the potential from a very high threat uh, vulnerability in the SC card. But if I do multi-sig of the Kobo and the cold card, now that's a fucking strong (laughs) wallet. You know, what are the chances that you could could somehow Get into both
4: of them. I think mm-hmm. very, very slim.
7: So um so that to me is what's making me feel safe right now. I probably shouldn't even say this on this podcast, but um multi-sig with all the above
5: <laughs> is uh is
7: something that makes me feel secure.
5: Man, that's impressive, man. I didn't know you went down the security rabbit hole like that, man. That's that's pretty nice. You have to a little bit if you're you know, I mean.
7: To have. Yeah. Not that I have any Bitcoin. You're
1: <laughs> um, just I mean, thinking about buying. You need to make sure you have your deduction in order in case, you know, once yeah. it reaches all-time high, you might dip your toe in.
7: Yeah, man. I gotta be ready for when I want to buy some Bitcoin with my elaborate
1: multi-sig scheme.
7: <laughs> but dudes, if you didn't know, the cold card can do such sophisticated multi-sig. Um, you can create as many different wallets on it as you want with passphrase. And you just, you just go to passphrase, enter passphrase, and that's your wallet. Doesn't, there's no wrong answer to passphrase, right? So any passphrase you want to enter, that's your wallet. If I put, you know, bunny rabbit 57, which I actually couldn't put that because it's, um, it's like numbers or whatever. I guess you could yeah, put a string, it's, but it's whatever. Letters. But, anyway, yep. um, but, but um, you put whatever passphrase you want and, uh, and if you have a balancer, you have a balancer, but better than that, you can multi-sig on the same cold card with different passphrase accounts. Wow. So like I could passphrase number one and sign with that and then passphrase number four and sign with that and passphrase number eight and sign with that and that's my wallet is like, and, and there would be no way to even know that I had any passphrase wallet on that device and mm-hmm. even if the device was ever hacked, it doesn't store or, or it doesn't know what passphrases that have been used on it. So, You know, like it's really crazy deep and it's just got all these cool little features. Like, I know I'm probably, maybe this is boring, but it's got all these cool. Oh, you're features good. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like um, let's say I had three different passphrases on this cold card with three different, you know, wallets on each one. You can mm-hmm. create uh, a new seed to back up uh that new account in a separate account that you could back up on another cold card and that would be its only wallet i mean but they could put passphrases too on top of that so it would be derived Jeez. from you it would be derived from your seed but of course they can't reverse it to your seed because it's been seeded again like your your seed plus passphrase was put into a new seed by itself and now that's their seed but they can't get your seed from that seed even though they are a baby of you um, the fuck, so like, it just does all kinds of really clever, like you can tell whoever whoever made that wallet spent a lot of time like, what if you made your wallet be able to do this?
4: like and then just did it all.
7: <laughs> like, it does so many little random things. It's like, oh, this is really clever. I can' not believe somebody thought to actually do that in the, in the It's got a key, it's got a brick me pen. It's got, you know, dummy pins that can show fake accounts, but you don't even need dummy pin anymore because you can put your real wallet in a passphrase or one of many passphrases, or even split it up in ten different passphrases in the same wallet. Um, whatever. You know?
5: This it's is, like, days. military grade, like, state-level yeah. protection.
7: It, really has, yeah. it, has a, it even has um, um pin anti-spoofing. So, like, there's a As a code word. So you can have pin up to 12 characters, six and six. When you put the first six, it'll give you a unique uh, phrase based on your first six words. So it's derived from your first six or up to six um, numbers, whatever, for your pass rate or pass for your pin. And that's unique to you. So even if somebody tried to switch the device out to learn your pin, um, you would know that it had been switched out when... Your device didn't know your anti-phishing war. halfway between
5: your pin. What the fuck? Yeah. This would take me like a good month, though, to implement. (laughs) I'm not going to lie, but it's fucking amazing that that's there. Holy shit. like every little
7: security feature. Like, I'm talking every little tiny security feature that I wouldn't even have thought of. Somebody sat there and thought, "What what if this happened? What if this happened? What if this happened? What if this happened? And then put stuff in there to like account for all that i mean even the bag it comes in is numbered with tamper proof uh seal and when you first turn it on the number on the device inside the bag matches the number on the bag that it came in
5: holy shit so no tampering so got, like, during shipments or transit yeah, yeah you got like supply chain security too wow and what is it this is cold card
7: this or is cold else? card. A cold card and uh it's not that hard to get a discount on them if you go if you use like Steven Lavera's code or uh, and, and there might be like affiliate codes too that can save on maybe but uh, they're like 120 by normal price and then by the time you can put like maybe some some deals on there you can probably get it down but I feel like that's you know about what you expect to pay for most hardware nowadays but it's a it's a cool little toy and it can even be used as a, um, an HSM like a uh, like a high security little like signer for a server. You can sit, you can keep it always on, plug it into a server and like interface with it
2: and have it be part
7: of your, your
5: operation. And it'll like, you know, use a high security module for signing things. You know, I actually have one of those, uh, the cold, cold card and I haven't set it up yet. So this is, um, I'm gonna be, <laughs> this is going to be a month project for me to.
7: Yeah. Hopefully you have the mark
5: Let me see which one I have here. Because um, the the Mark... I think the latest one that they had on the site.
7: Yeah. Okay, Mark III is the latest one. The Mark II technically has been proven to be vulnerable, but it's like a $200,000 if you're super, super expert vulnerable. But, But more relevant, though, is that the Mark II has less memory, and so many of the new features are not being put onto the Mark II because it doesn't have the memory.
5: Wow, I'm actually looking at the matrix looking like um, packaging that it came in. <laughs> that's, that's fucking the, incredible.
4: It's the Genesis book.
5: Wow. So many wow. letters on this. This is like a labor of love. Yeah, this is these uh, coin kite guys. I think that's their website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ordered one not too long ago. I just didn't have the time to set it up because Steve recommended this one. And I was like... This if you read the deep. docs, like I read the docs before I got it because I was excited about
7: getting it. And that's how I yeah. learned about all the little features. I was just reading the docs and it's like, this little
4: thing does everything.
7: <laughs>
4: yeah, I didn't know it person? did all,
5: all of that. And I got the little open dime, I guess those. Um, yeah, I got one too. I'm going to send uh, one to my brother for his birthday in August. Yeah. Put a little bit of Bitcoin
7: on there. Although I'm a little bit paranoid of it. Not that I think it could be hacked, but I think it could be broken. Like what if, you know, it's in his pocket and he sweats? Like, <laughs> there's no backup for that Bitcoin. Like, I'm afraid to put more than like a hundred dollars on there because I feel like, you know, drop that thing on a piece of sand, gets in there. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, how sturdy is it? Like, it's not like you know, such chip, it's like an exposed chip.
5: Jeez. That really yeah, that's that's people? true. The open dimes are exposed
4: just really
7: trust that the things not going to like just bug out and forget that it had money on there. I don't know, like maybe it's good, but I mean, you know, it's a big risk. And then like how long the, is that is that uh hardware rated for? Like can you leave it on a shelf for 15 years and then take your bitcoin off?
1: Yeah. Even even USB drives will like go bad in a decade or like they will just start to disintegrate. Like yeah, it, it still works, know. but I've got some that look pretty ugly
7: and you know it just takes a little bit of corruption to like not like, he's not going to
5: be there anymore you know what's crazy they also thought about when they email me they didn't even put like the inventory of what i got in the email which is insane like you know like your receipt email that you usually get after you purchase something there's no that i can't figure out what the fuck i got it just says invoice invoice link here you go oh,
7: so you have to you have to log in yeah and then you have
5: to prove that you're you Exactly, but that's amazing because mm-hmm. Google could just easily s- sniff this stuff.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> like Google's reading your emails for sure.
5: will read it. So for
7: one me. thing that I, yeah. that I don't like that they do do is they do put your invoice on the outside of the package.
5: Oh okay, physically, okay. yeah.
7: So a lot of people, and that's one thing that, uh, I, but I guess it's just the nature of different countries. But like, I've seen in their in their community that. People will complain that live in certain countries because the price that, let's say they spend five hundred dollars. Um, many customs taxes will be like basically the whole amount. So they'll have to pay another five hundred dollars to receive their package. Oh. And so they've tried to convince CoinKite to like, can you just put the dollar on there or something? Like and they won't because they have to comply. But but I mean, you know, I can't I can't fault them for
5: trying to play the legitimate business game. But yeah, yeah, I got the MK3. Okay, good. All good.
7: right. The thing's future proof, I think, and and they're gonna start making more accessories and more like things that use the MK3. So having an MK3 is gonna let you plug into the ecosystem that they're gonna build around that device.
5: Hey, they have open-dime capsules though for your buddy that sweats a lot. They did. They did. Just
7: they just put it there. I think he <laughs> put it there based on my suggestion. <laughs> Because I made uh, a suggestion and then I saw it there. But he never said anything to me about it. I made a suggestion in the community. I was like, hey, I'm sitting here on Amazon looking for capsules.
2: And that'd be an easy for
7: <laughs> you guys to source and sell. For something for my, I would have bought one. And then next thing you know, there was capsules on there. So.
5: Wow. Holy cow. Well, these guys so are in the right direction. A capsule for uh, like seven bucks. Yeah. They got some nice ones here. Twelve ninety nine. Weather resist, so water resistance at least, yeah. And I
4: wanna, I
7: wonder, like, wow. ideally, you'd want to make it immune to uh, solar flares. So I wonder how much aluminum or whatever do you need to protect from solar flares?
5: Yeah, you're you're thinking pretty deep there, but yeah.
7: But no, because I mean, <laughs> solar flares aren't that rare. Like, I mean, they're kind of rare, but. But like, you know, there's gonna be at least one decently sized one every hundred years and we're overdue for one. I
5: mean, like it's something that can
7: happen. It's not like those,
5: those things destroy data centers.
7: Yeah, it's not like there's not a chance it'll get hit by a solar flare. Like there's a decent chance it could get hit by a solar flare. Especially if you're gonna keep it somewhere for ten years. And that would just kill it and there's no backup. Like with my cold card or something, I'm not that worried about a solar flare because it's got a backup somewhere, but with so open time, solar flare is a death sentence.
5: <laughs> Family inheritance gone. Single f- fucking solar flare. <laughs> 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 Getting wrecked.
1: <laughs> wow. As, that'll try to take out Bitcoin by just you know shooting nuclear bombs into the sun. That's the last <laughs> thing the Fed would do. I
7: mean, the GNP would also. Uh, Have the same effect.
5: Who fucked them up too, though? I mean, the only thing
4: at that point is military.
7: You can, like, put off an EMP just in your city. You know? Like, I don't know who would do that, but could do that. And that's, I think the EMP is maybe less plausible than Solar Flare, because Solar Flare really doesn't care where you live. It just, like, washes the
5: planet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> holy shit yeah that's that sounds pretty bad man we've been so it's been a hundred years since we had a bad solar flare oh my god i
7: don't remember i looked into this uh it was a couple years ago when we it was like, <laughs> they projected like there was like a solar flare was happening and it yeah. might hit us but it missed but it was supposed to be like a really big one that would have like knocked out all of our ship but it missed us and uh, i remember when i read that though like I don't, I don't remember the numbers anymore, but I remember when I read that about that, that I was looking at like how often this is supposed to happen and how often this happens and how often one actually does hit. So even though that one was a big solar flare, like it didn't hit us, so it didn't count. Like, because there's big solar flares happening all the time, but they usually don't hit us. Um, but they can and sometimes not that infrequently, like, you know, 100 years is not that infrequent to to the earth. But we haven't had electronics for that long.
1: So. It's hard to comprehend. Like, even though the sun is a million times bigger than the Earth, there's still all that empty space in between us that's unfathomable.
7: I've been in a, to scale solar system in VR, and it was crazy. Because, like, the sun was, like, way, way, way bigger than me. Like, the sun was, like, super high up in the sky, super far low to the ground, and, like, the Earth... I had to walk like very, very far away from that giant object where it was still a giant object because it was so huge. But I had to walk like across my room from it and then like the earth would be like on my fingertip.
4: Wow.
7: <laughs> yeah, like the earth was tiny. Um, but that's pretty cool to see like a, a life a, to scale solar system in, in VR and like kind of walk around it and interact with the planet. Like, yeah, I was really um, shocking. I didn't realize how much smaller all the planets are. The planets are basically a little speck of rocks, like, flying around the thing. It's basically Jeez. just the sun and, like, some rock specks flying around the thing.
5: <laughs> so the yeah. solar flare can literally take out the Fed, <laughs> along with a <laughs> lot of right. other things, but yeah, <laughs> shit. I, mean,
7: but I would assume that they've got some kind of
5: uh, um, like paper so backups.
7: Well, cool yeah. that, but also. Um, what's it called a uh, cage Faraday cage? I think a Faraday cage theoretically should block e m p
1: and solar flare I think but think about all the treasury bonds and all the the stocks that are still flying around like no one knows where that nothing's settled you know all the settled oh, yeah. unsettled stuff would just get wiped out
5: yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God.
7: It would be chaos. And plus, the power would go out and wouldn't come back on for a yeah, while. Long time. They yeah. They'd have yeah. to remake everything.
5: I didn't know solar flares were this bad. I, I remember working in a data center. And I got an email, like, possible solar flares.
7: It might have been I the didn't, one.
5: I didn't, yeah, I didn't think that it was. And this was, like, five years ago or so. I didn't think it was that bad. And I could have definitely got fired, you know, if it did happen. Because I didn't take it seriously at all. But, um, yeah, these are fucking catastrophic events.
7: <laughs> yeah. If they're big enough, yeah. I mean, and the one that maybe was the 5 year ago one, because I remember around that time, was when, like, yeah. there was a, a plausible scare that, like, they knew a solar flare, because you can, like, people do weather on the sun, like, weather forecasts on the sun.
5: Oh, it'd be so nice to get Steve to comment on this.
4: <laughs> he was here. <laughs> but, yeah. So, yeah.
7: Like, you know, they're doing the weather forecast on the sun and they know, like, hey, there's a, I don't know, whatever the equivalent of the sunstorm is or whatever. And then there's, like, a flare that came off of that and it's, like, heading in our direction. But, you know, you can't measure perfectly to know if it's going to hit or not or whatever. I don't know how they measure it, how they know. But they they, they do. They measure it. They know, like, when there are flares and where the flares are kind of going. But um, that one, maybe it was the five-year-ago one, the big one that was a big scare recently-ish. And uh, and that's when I started looking into it. Well, I haven't looked into it since then. But.
1: The other thing is we're a moving object. So the timing, it has to just be the perfect worst case scenario that this one flare hits like right with, when as hits, we're passing by. But it's as hitting we're flying through at 100 miles per hour.
7: It's big. It's, you know, the flares are pretty big. Oh, really? They're bigger than our planet
1: anyway. Well, are so, players bigger than the sun once they, like, shoot out? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But they're bigger than our planet. so it's like it's literally washes cool. the planet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to be on the other side of the planet. You want it to hit Asia and not our side.
5: <laughs> Holy shit. That's like everyone has cancer, like, all at once.
7: <laughs> yeah, that's like, the there, there are real health risks and stuff, too. I remember
5: reading about that part of it, too. Yeah, it can be fucked up. <laughs> wow. That's a, just an interesting tidbit I did not know about. That's fucking, yeah, scary as hell. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot of shit like that. Like, I remember
7: I went on a, you know, internet's a hell of a drug. I went on a binge one time about, like, all the different ways that the world could possibly end. Uh-huh. And, um, like, there are some massive volcanoes that are overdue that could, like, cover the earth in ash which would block out the sun. Ooh, there I do um, There are... This is something I didn't know, and, and it's become more common knowledge maybe you knew, but um, most of the asteroids that are big enough to destroy Earth are not known about. So, like, we catalog as many as we can, but, um, but we only have, like, some percentage of the biggest ones cataloged. And uh, it's, like, if you go all the way down to, like, the size that's still big enough to destroy the Earth, over 90% of those we don't even know exist until, like, they're very close. Like, the space is too big to track them, and they're too small relative to space for us to find all of them. So, like, um, you know, like, we don't even know if we got... There's, the biggest probability is that if we got hit by an, astro- an asteroid, we wouldn't know it until it was very close.
5: Um, because yeah, we wouldn't have uh, we had to be okay. interplanetary at that point.
1: I actually heard one of the rumors when COVID first started that the reason they were making everyone stay inside is they thought we're about to get hit by a solar flare or something <laughs> like that.
7: <laughs> that would be interesting. You know, I feel like they'd have better luck if they just said we're about to be hit by a solar flare. <laughs> <laughs> like if they said that, I feel like more people, less people would argue about it. More people would stay inside oh like, yeah if we ever get hit
1: by a solar flare if we ever get hit by a solar flare it's because we stopped worshiping the sun and yeah, it got angry
6: <laughs> <around>.
1: <laughs> wow all right guys it's been yep. three hours and my, oh, yes. my batteries about yeah to I feel
7: sorry for anybody who listened to <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're you're now going out, to read, we're now going to read out some private keys for any listeners that made well, it through this far. If, <laughs> if
7: somebody who listens this far, don't cheat and tell them. If somebody listens this far uh, and you tweet me,
1: um,
7: or I guess Telegram is easier, at J.C. Crown on Telegram, I'll send you 30,000 satoshis.
1: What what message do they need? They should have a specific message so we know um, they actually... They,
7: and it has to be the first person only. That they actually listen to the whole podcast. I, I don't expect anybody to actually take this money from me. Guys, don't cheat and tell somebody to come get some money from me. Because hey, I want to see if somebody actually listened. I want to see if somebody actually listened. Well, I'll do a, a thirty thirty k sats if somebody messages me and said, "Hey,
5: I listened to the whole thing." Assuming that uh, you're the first person to message me. That's a down payment for a house one day.
4: Yeah, sure
5: pay attention. all right guys all right we'll wrap it up
1: you've been listening to a bitcoin meetup podcast have a good one later